Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. How do you pass up the opportunity to spit blood in Joan Baez's face? Face, face, Hey, what's happening? I'm Mike Schmidt, 40 year old boy podcast. There's something on my desk making a noise, and I can't figure out what it is, and it's driving me fucking crazy. See if you can hear it. Of course you can't. Why could you hear it? I mean, it was doing it a second ago. It's like, uh, you know how you hit those little springy things that are on your wall that nobody knows what the fuck they're for? It's supposed to be a doorstop, but not really. That, you know, like that fucking thing. Well, there's something on my desk making that like noise, not, but not so springy. More like uh, like if you, if you had a crooked quarter or a warped quarter. Oh, fuck. Why is that so early in the show? That'd be a good name for the show. Warped quarter. Um if you had a warped quarter, let it, well, warped quarter, you got to hit all the R's in that, right? You got to hit warped. You can't just say warped quarter, kata. Uh, they're animals, kata. You can't do that nonsense. Uh, you got to hit your R's. That's, all right, let me ask you this. When you talk about the Jacksonville football team, what do you call them? Some people call them Jaguars. Someone call them Jaguars. Uh, but I call them, the, they're the, they are the Jacksonville Jaguars. Wars, like W-A-R, war. That's war, but war, Jaguar. That's, I've, I've learned that from youth. Uh, oftentimes my mom would sit us down as a, as a family during the holidays and say, all right, listen, let's pronounce the name of big cats together. And my brother Scott would say, uh, Tigre. And my mom would say, we're not Spanish in this house. You got to go with tiger son. And then one of us would go cheddar. And we go, that's a cheese, man. You got to be a cheetah. If you're talking about cheese or uh, big cats, I should say. Uh, and then, of course, it would be Jaguar. And if, if any one of us screwed up and said Jaguar, God love them. Because my mom would pull out a comb with Jaguar teeth and just run it through their hair and until they bled. Until they got it right or until they bled. Jaguar scrape. Ay! Jaguar scrape. Ay! Jaguar scrape. So, back to what that meant. Uh, the warped quarter is on my desk and I can't figure out where the fuck it is. And Because I'm, I'm doing really well with the rebirth thing at least in terms of house or apartment, uh, because I, uh, hold on, I'm going to move the microphone here and see, hopefully it doesn't, you guys don't hear it. Although I guess I just fucking told you about it. So what the fuck? Um, there's stuff like on the, uh, like, you know, I look, my house is, my apartment is like 80% done. Uh, I'm going to say 80 to 85% done. I went today. I shredded another 66 pounds of documents. I know that sounds ridiculous, but dudes, when you've been in the house for 21 years, kind of 21 in next week, next Monday, it'll be my 21st year in this apartment. 21st year, uh, 21. Did I say 21? I think I did. It'll be my 21st year in this apartment starting next Monday. And, uh, 21st year back in California, 1997 is when I got here and I moved into this place. And so there's, uh, 
stuff, man. There's documents, there's, there's boxes and dust and all sorts of garbage you got to go clawing through. And I told you, I've been, I've been unearthing some cool ass stuff, but also you're finding a ton of garbage. So, I mean, I've been, my house has been kind of cluttered because you know, it was, uh, first of all, I'm officially Canadian now. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. I say a boot. I drink maple syrup out of a shot glass. I'm nice to everybody. Uh, I like hockey. So I mean, I liked hockey before, but now I love it. Now it feels like it's in my blood. In fact, I think I'm going to be flooding my, uh, my jungle outside my, my garden, my grass. No, I don't have grass. We've got plants. We don't have grass. We just got like a bunch of stuff with palm trees. And, uh, there's, for some reason, there's a fucking Buddha statue, which I don't understand or a Ganesh. I think it's Ganesh. It's the elephant. Buddha's a dude. Ganesh is the elephant. Uh, maybe it's Buddha Ganesh. I got no idea. Maybe it's Ganesh Buddha. Could be all the. Isn't that where I had dinner last week in Canada? <laughs> At the end, I had Belum's Janush or whatever the fuck. Uh, that was some good ass chow. But uh, now I'm back, uh, sort of. But I'm still Canadian. I, I I left my heart in Kitchener, Ontario. I don't think even Tom, uh, Tony Bennett would make that one sound good. Uh, that's a lot of. That's well, San Francisco, Kitchener, Ontario. That's a lot of syllables. Um, oh, speaking of syllables, Paul F. Tompkins, he keeps tweeting <laughs> whenever he sees anything with six syllables, uh, like someone said, I can't even remember what it was today, but it was something like, uh, misplaced, misplaced Ottoman or something like that. And then he'll retweet it and he'll just go, I know, I know it's serious, uh, misplaced Ottoman night. Well, that's only five misplaced Ottoman. Yeah. Uh, my misplaced Ottoman, I know. Yeah, so he, whatever the fuck. Anything with six syllables, he retweets it. And I, I actually wrote him back and I was like, uh, I will never not like this. Because he's done it like three different times. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to stumble at it every single time. Actually, that's a lie. He's the only person I follow on Twitter. I have Twitter just to follow Paul F. Tompkins and have him sing songs about license plates and then tweet song and tweet uh, uh, Girlfriend in a Coma references for six-syllable phrases. Uh, and I find it's a pretty good use of the medium. Because otherwise, what the fuck am I going to do? Have a debate with a faceless Nazi? Uh, let's start it. We should do that. Let's have a movie with faceless Nazis. They already did that with that fucking, uh, uh, what the hell was it? Uh, Frozen Tundra or Ice Break or whatever the fuck. There's some dead calm. I don't know. That, no, that's Nicole Kidman. And she has to beat up a guy who fucked her and punched her in the face. Um, and rightfully so, man. Fucking throw that dude off a boat. Was that Jason Momoa? Am I wrong there? I, I, I got to think it was another Australian dude. Maybe I'm just maybe all movies with water now have Jason Momoa. As we talked about, he's Aquaman, so anything at all. He's he was in deep water. He was the shark. He actually ate those people at the end. Spoiler alert! Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot about that. That's a tense ass movie. You should watch it. Uh, except for the fact that I just fucking tore the scab off and revealed the end like a dumb fuck. Um, but you know what? You need to watch that movie anyway, just because it, the, the fucking the end of it is so fucking creepy. Uh, that was a movie like it was one of those movies where you're just like ah, you know, this sounds like a, this sounds like it could work, but I don't think it's gonna work. Uh, and then cut to yourself biting all of your nails off and like literally just like tearing your fucking popcorn bag apart because it is one of those, it's just tense as fuck the whole movie. And, th- and then the end of it, you're just like, oh, fuck, dude. Um, and look, I'm a movie guy. If nothing else, you know me, I'm a movie guy. Like I, I was, uh, you know, Gio keeps telling me, he's like, you got to put content out on your YouTube channel. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll talk about football. I did pretty good a couple of weeks ago talking about football. And then some people were like, dude, you should have a, a sports talk show. And I'm like, I know, that just seems like a big leap at that point. I mean, look, I can rant about the bears and shit like that, but all of a sudden I see my interests for like flow all over the joint. So eventually you're going to get me talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars for an hour. And you're going to be like, fuck this, dude. We can't listen to all this nonsense. Nobody wants to hear this bullshit. Uh, that seems aggressive. I think everybody really wants to like that. Um, I think all of you out there, I speak for all of you. I speak for the trees. I'm the Lorax of you guys liking me talking about sports and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, warped quarter. Oh, so the noise. Fuck. Yeah, there you go. Now that I think about it, it's like, 
I'm moving the desk and it's not fucking happening. Because uh, my yeah, again, my like the living room is pretty cleaned up. Everything's where it's supposed to be. I have uh, I've got to get my two desks together because this is my recording desk. This will be my streaming desk. That's where I'm at now. We're not in the bedroom. We're out in the living room now because this will be media headquarters. This will be my studio, quote unquote. Uh, weird. I need to get a windscreen too, by the way. I uh, like for my because again, I've got the sock and everybody makes fun of it. And ho ho ho! But I'm starting to. Uh, I think I really want the uh, windscreen because I was watching some other shows and they had like either that big foam knob or they had a windscreen. And also when I do the fucking interlude at Mexico's house, he's got actual professional windscreens and foam knobs and you can't hear my mouth so much. Again, as I've talked about on the show, it just seems to me like I, I find myself listening back uh, now, even before I post the show. Yes, that's right. More work for Mike. And I hear myself swallow or I hear something swishing around and I'm like, God damn it. I got to cut that out. Uh, and then I think my, I do it like five times and then I go, fuck, I can't listen to the next two hours of this fucking thing trying to find wayward saliva, rogue saliva that comes flying. And I did, I, it's okay. It comes flying out. You wouldn't even hear that unless it popped against the fucking microphone. But if you hear it swishing around, you're just like, oh, Christ, it's like, it's like you're listening to the show in a hot tub. And you just hear the jets fucking rolling the whole time while I'm talking. And by the jets, I mean the jets in the hot tub. I don't mean the New York jets, because as we all know, this is now a sports show. So I reference the jets. You guys immediately go, is Mike going to talk about Sam Darnold? Are we going to hear about Isaiah Powell or Bilal Crowell? Or is it Bilal Powell and Isaiah Crowell or Crowell? I can't tell you. But they do. They have a Powell and a Crowell in their backfield. Uh, P-O-W-E-L-L-C-R-O-W-E-L-L. They have the the Powell and Crowell attack. But it's got to be Crowell, right? I think it's Powell and Crowell. Which is fucked. That's a law firm. If you want to go, if you want to be like the backfield, like thunder and lightning, you got to go Powell and Crowell, Crowell, Powell and Crowell, and just come at people with the fucking gangrene defense and Powell and Crowell out of the backfield, and then that quarterback with really nice hair. Uh, was he the one who had a hot tub in his fucking his, uh, room? I don't know if he did. He had one of those, one of the quarterbacks from from California, either Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen of the Arizona Cardinals, or Sam Darnold of the New York Jets. He was at USC, and Josh Rosen was at UCLA. Rosen, Rosen. Uh, they, they had, one of them had a hot tub in their room and then like the NCAA is like, yeah, I got to get it out of there, which I don't even fucking understand, man. It's fucking college. Let these kids do what they want. You can do anything in college. You can get, you can get drunk and throw your cock in a girl's face. And then 50 years later, look at you. You're running the whole Supreme court. It's fantastic. Uh, yes. Don't write me and be like, you don't know the facts. I'm not, I'm not debating you. I don't care. Uh, I mean, I care. Certainly I care. I can't be that guy. I, I as, Believe me, as much as I would love to just fucking float above it all and just be like, yeah, we a blind date. There's a song by Pearl Jam and it's uh, it's called Crazy Mary. And it's not by them. It's actually by, I believe, Lucinda Williams or Victoria Williams. I'm going to guess Lucinda Williams off the top of my head because they recorded it in a benefit album for her because she got the shakes or some bullshit. I don't know. She had fucking she got uh, uh, lupus, maybe. I don't know. See, she had some fucking disease. And Pearl Jam was like, well, let's do a song and we'll throw it on that tribute album to her. Because it was a pretty good album. But uh, but Pearl Jam's song was Crazy Mary. And it's uh, last night, thunderclap, uh, mercy out upon her window. So dreamed I was flying high above the trees, over the hills, look down into the house of Mary. Well, I want to be that character, but I want to dream that I'm flying high above the trees, over the hills, and I look down into all the turmoil and political bullshit that everybody's going through now and pretend like it doesn't matter to me. Uh, that would be fantastic if I could just go ahead and say, we, I don't care. But unfortunately, it affects people that I know and I have to care. Uh, and by people that I know, it means ladies. And by ladies, I mean all ladies, because fucking ladies just need to rise up and start killing dudes. This whole fucking world needs to be like an Amazon. But I, let's make this seriously. Let's get a Diana Prince. Let's get a fucking, uh, who was it? Was it Connie Nielsen? Who was in that movie? Who's the other strong woman who was running the fucking island? Who was the main warrior who got whacked? It wasn't Laura Dern. It was one of those chicks, though. My chicks. Great. Here, I'm going to get stabbed by a trident. Um, and I, I hope I do, actually, because that would escalate quick. 
Uh, Brock, was that you? Um, so I know who was it? Who was the other tough woman? Was it? It was a blonde woman. It's not Connie Nielsen. It's somebody else. God damn it! She's a roughhouser. She's a tooth chipper. She's in every uh, cool ass movie. And she's no, I don't want to. I don't want to look this shit up. I'm not going to pause down. Who cares? Who are the other tough girl in Wonder Woman who got killed when the Nazis showed up? Uh, these fucking Nazis, man, right? They're ruining fucking Amazon Island. They're ruining America now. They're coming back and coming into Germany and Poland and everywhere else. Jesus Christ! Didn't we step on these motherfuckers? Why did this happen? It's like this entire world just became a game of risk. Even though risk doesn't have the Nazis, you can't be the Nazis in risk. <laughs> but 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 maybe you can. You know what? If you just take over one country, you just go, we're the Nazis now. And everybody's like, fuck you, dude. I'm not playing with a board game who represents the Nazis. Uh, I'm, we're the Ukraine. And you say, Ukraine is weak. And we're not the Ukraine. We're just Ukraine, man. Take your fucking modifying article and throw it out the goddamn window. We're just fucking Ukraine. Uh, but then the faceless Nazis will swarm you over too. Goddamn, the Nazis are coming. Nobody likes it. We've been fighting it too. Everybody's been saying, oh, yeah, they're here. I guess they're not even coming. They're actually here. But they've always been underground and doing a bunch of bullshit. You know what I mean? they got four dogs in a trailer. They're eating canned ravioli, just biding their time, waiting for their chance. And here it comes. Once this fucking <laughs> prohibitive dick stepper gets into the fucking White House and ruins everything, they're like, now's our chance. Let's get uh, let's assemble on the left flank and bring all of our guns. Uh, make sure you tie things around your face so you don't get fired from Walmart. All right, enough of that. See, I was floating above this. I was dreaming that I was flying high above the trees over the hills and I wasn't going to partake in this fucking conversation. Uh, like today, everybody went crazy over Bill Cosby because Bill Cosby's going to jail. And I saw it and, and people were like, yeah, fuck you, rapist. Yeah, woo. And I'm like, yeah, fuck him, rapist. Absolutely. All the terrible fucking things that he did were awful. But it's still, it's still awful, right? There, I mean, I guess you can spike the football on it and be okay with it. But at the same time, it's just... You know, this this guy, and it, look, he was never my favorite by any means. He's not somebody I idolized or, or he just, all, but he was always a presence. He was around from, I mean, I watched the original Bill Cosby show, the Hulu, that show. I watched the comedy specials. I listened to the albums, uh, you know, when I was a kid. Fucking Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, was that was a big part of my childhood. Uh, I watched I Spy. We watched the reruns because they were on late at night. Just They'd come on after Batman sometimes, like Batman would be on Channel 9 and then I Spy would be on Channel 2. Um... And then, of course, you know, he goes, and then, dude, fucking, the, 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 he made these movies with Sidney Poitier, Poitier called Let's Do It Again, uh, and, uh, and what, the, what the fuck's the other one? I can't even remember. But now but you can't watch him the right way anymore. You can't, because he's a, he's a fucking horrible fucking pig of a rapist, and it's terrible. And, and that's what I'm saying. I, I, he's just been a presence in my life for a very long time, and I know you're supposed to invalidate him immediately when you find out he's done bad things. I'm not saying I like him. I'm not saying, you know, I, he, he got fucking, today he got like three to ten years and uh, he should have gotten 40. He should have gotten 50 fucking years. He should have just got thrown in and they throw away the fucking key. And in a, in, a, in a better world, he wouldn't even have to fucking go to jail because he wouldn't have done these fucking things. But he did. So fuck him. But at the same time, it's not. I understand victims of his cathartically and I understand victims of sexual abuse cathartically. It's almost it's almost like, in, in my opinion, I don't speak to it because I haven't gone through it. But you'll hear a lot of African-American people when uh, when an African-American person is is justified or, or vindicated, they take it as a celebration and a victory for their entire community. So I would imagine people who have been sexually abused saw this today as a and, and took a small a modicum of I don't want to say pleasure, they satisfaction in what happened, because finally, uh, not just the sexual abuser, a sexual predator, but a, but a high profile sexual abuser and sexual predator was found guilty of his crimes. He actually had to stand up and it proved that money doesn't buy your way out. It, pr- it proved that eventually sometimes good will, will win out. Uh, so I, I understand people 
it's a very dude it's a i shouldn't have noted this I dreamed i was flying high above the trees over the hills my point is i'm not rooting for him fuck him go to jail fucking forever stay in jail fucking forever he should they should have thrown him in jail fucking 10 years ago 15 years ago when these women were fucking 35 years ago when this shit started happening and people started coming forward and nobody fucking believed it fuck this guy however it is still kind of it's a tragedy man because that was a dude who who'd also and I'm not what abouting. He'd also done, you know, he'd given a lot of money to a lot of uh, good causes. He'd, he'd donated money to a lot of black causes and colleges. And he, I think he spoke to a lot of black people and wanted them to go to to college and help them out. He spoke to that community uh, in a way where, and granted, he also spoke to them in a way where he was fucking scolding them all the time. He was being a jag off and, uh, and, and he shouldn't be doing that either. But at the same time, he paved the way and he influenced a lot of uh, African-Americans to to live a certain way, to have some hope and see that they could make it. And, uh, and it's gotta be a shame to realize that your hero is, is made of fucking rice paper. I mean, that's just gotta be terrible to know that you can see through that motherfucker, like, like a, like a thin fucking, (sighs) I was going to say my brain immediately goes to Neutrogena, but that's a fucking Dennis Miller bit. And I'm not doing that. Um, I don't even know why I fucking got into this. The point is, fuck him, go to jail forever. But it's still really, really fucking sad that it happened in the first fucking place. I'm not saying it's sad that he's going to jail. Please don't mix that up. I'm not saying it's sad that, uh, you know, it, but it's, but overall, the whole fucking thing is sad. It's like war. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm glad we stomped out the fucking Nazis and bad people died, but there were a lot of people in fighting on that side who got drafted in just like people here in America got drafted in, you know, in Vietnam when we sent fucking soldiers. What the fuck am I talking about? Holy shit. Shut up. Jesus Christ, man. You're Canadian. None of this matters to you now. Get out gracefully back up and make a beeping noise. So everybody sees that you're leaving this fucking topic. How the fuck did you wander into Vietnam? All of a sudden I was talking about Bill Cosby and then I in the jungles of Vietnam defending our vets. What a weirdo. Uh, I, but I want to finish that thought. The point is, you know, a lot of people went to Vietnam and uh, and were reviled in Vietnam. We're still hated, but a lot of people went because they had no fucking choice. They got drafted and they had to go. They didn't want to fight. Like Muhammad Ali said, I got no problem with that Viet Cong. I mean, yeah, and a lot of other people felt like that, but they wound up having to go. And they got fucking scarred and traumatized for life. I have to think, as a human being in Nazi Germany, there were people in that in that army who did not want to be there and did not believe in the Nazis, but also didn't want to wind up in a fucking camp taking the wrong kind of shower. I mean, so they had to go and do what the fuck they were told. And I'm not saying that the guys who tortured the Jews were good or they should get out of it. With, I was just following orders. Fuck them. I'm just saying if you hit in a foxhole, ah, shut up. What am I saying? So you got to keep always landing that layer. If I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying this. The point is, fuck Bill Cosby. He deserved to go to, go to jail for 40 fucking years. If there's any sort of uh, karmic justice, he will live while he's in jail. Like he'll live long enough to still live out his sentence. Everybody's like, he wants to die in prison. Fuck that. I want him to, I want him to live every single excruciating minute. Cause I can't imagine there being anything worse for a rich privileged person than jail where you get told what to do, when to go to bed, what to, what to say, how to sleep. And he's 81. I mean, he's lived a life. Uh, well, I mean, he's, he's earned a life of privilege by, by making himself into a successful comedian and an actor. But, but also he, he, he fucking ruined so many lives, man. I mean, he just, he just abused women and didn't think twice about it and acted like he was entitled to do so. And he's never apologized. That's the thing. He went to fucking trial today and he's never apologized. He's never said, I was sorry for hurting those women. He's never said that he, he, he shouldn't have done that. Or he never said, Oh my gosh, I apologize. I mean, even today when he got fucking sentenced, he was, 
He asked if he would have to wear an ankle bracelet when he, or check in with the court when he flew from one city to the other for an overnight visit, like if he did a tour. Hey, motherfucker, you're going to jail. Like, I, you, the last thing you should be thinking about is playing the fucking uh, El, El Caliente Casino in fucking Mesquite. That's not happening. You're not going to be selling out showrooms anymore. You're going to be scrubbing fucking bedpans and trying not to get fucked. And, and nobody's, and again, you know my theory about that. Remember on the movie when I was like, hey, they should rape Superman. Um, there are a bunch of people who I'm sure will protect Bill Cosby in jail, but there's got to be somebody in there who's just like, yeah, fuck this old man. I'm going to, this is, this is a notch on my belt. Uh, and they don't like sex predators and stuff. I, dude, who fucking knows? Uh, jail's a bad place. Don't go. And if you don't want to go to jail, don't fucking roofie 80 chicks and then fuck them and then tell them that it's, it's their fault or whatever the fuck. Ah, what a fucking horrible world, man. You know what? I, let's go back to a more pleasant time when we were talking about Vietnam. Anyway, I know a guy with a flamethrower and he found he came upon a jungle and there were a bunch of kids in a hut. Shut up. All right. So uh, I'm Canadian now. Again, though, this doesn't matter. Uh, this isn't a boot me anymore. <laughs> I should realize that, man. This isn't a boot me, for fuck's sake. And uh, and uh, and don't kid yourself. I absolutely know that. I, I know it in my heart. I know it in my head. Uh, but I'm back in America now with a wobbly fucking thing on my desk and trying to talk to you guys on a, on a Tuesday uh, podcast. Uh, so I was in Canada. Let's talk a little bit about Canada. Let's talk about, or should we go into that? I mean, we did, a, we did like a travelogue type of show where I told you a lot about Canada last week, but I'd only gotten through a couple of days of the trip. You know, this time around, I mean, I was there for... Uh, I mean, I stayed for another five days. I mean, fuck it. I'll just tell you. We wound up. I did the, I did the show with you guys. Uh, I recorded on Tuesday and then recorded on Wednesday because I almost fucked everything up. But uh, but that's me. That's all. And then, of course, then there's this week. See, I, almost, I, I wish Ken would come in now so he would have got here at least 15 minutes ago so I wouldn't have started talking about Bill Cosby in Vietnam. I don't know how the fuck that happened. Um, oh, and I should tell you this. I, I started to describe an escape room for you guys last week. And... Uh, in the beginning, I talked about clues, and you know, I talked about freeing yourself from a table and how we did that, and uh, and and I caught myself thankfully on the on the broadcast, and I said, "Hey, uh, I can't tell you guys about the, the fucking escape room. I can't go into all this because I'm just going to solve it. That's ridiculous." Uh, but you guys know that. So then the the show airs, and I, I get uh, people. It, it, it's happened intermittently the rest of the week, but the fa- my favorite one was Kendra wrote me. Kendra, who I mentioned last week, she was the one who worked at the escape room and who was there observing us through the television and wound up calling in with clues because that's what they do. And uh, and she just wrote me an email uh, the next day, a Facebook message. And, uh, you know, the show went up on Thursday. And I went out and we, I was with Ken and my phone dinged and I looked at it and it just said, you're not supposed to tell people how to escape the escape room, ding dong. And uh, <laughs> I just, I laughed because uh, I knew I hadn't. I mean, I knew if she, the more she listened, but it was, she was listening in the moment there and she heard me start to describe everything. And luckily, I, this, and then I wrote her back later on. I'm like, I, yeah, luckily I caught myself. And she's like, all right, good. I was glad that you didn't solve it. But, but a lot of other people wrote me too. They're like, hey, so you're supposed to do this and do that. And I'm just like, shut up. I didn't mean to. I stopped myself. Don't worry. Uh, but I will tell you that I, I'm... Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised that like, uh, you know, at least six of you are listening to the show and then stop to send me a note directly in the middle of it to apply to what the fuck I had just talked about. I like that. I kind of like that thing where we're all, I mean, it's like the live streams that I do. We're all in this together. But if you're listening to the show and you stop and you write me a note, that just, it makes me think it's like we're having a conversation, man. Uh, I'm certainly not letting you get a word in edgewise. And, I, and I'm not going to ask you your opinion of Bill Cosby in Vietnam. Uh, <laughs> although, although I would imagine it's going to be a lot like my opinion. Uh, although, do you know what my opinion was since I had to backtrack nine different times because I don't want to offend anybody? What a fucking world. Um, I mean, I didn't backtrack. Nah, did I? Nah, fuck it. Fuck him and go to jail. But at the same time, it's tremendously sad. It's a sad situation. Uh, it's a sad, sad situation. 
And it's getting more and more absurd. There's no doubt about that. Um, so in Canada, we wound up, you know, like I said, we hung out and, uh, and, and let's see, you know, fuck this. I, I just, uh, we went to a rage room. I'll tell you that. That's one of the things we went and did. Oh no, for, uh, before the rage room, ah, actually before the rage room, we went through axes. Uh, you know, I threw axes last time I was in town and it was fucking amazing. And, uh, our good buddy, John floor became the champion of axes, which is very important to my good buddy, John floor. John floor likes winning the competitions that are organized when I'm in town or any competitions for that matter. Uh, because he is, he's very competitive and, but here's the thing that he does. And it's the thing that I do too. It's where you hold yourself to a standard where you're like, oh man, I should have done this or I should have done that. I should be able to get out of this escape room. I'm a smart dude. I should be able to make it happen. And then you kind of beat yourself up if you don't make it happen. Uh, so that's who he is. So when we didn't get out of the escape room, I knew it drove him fucking crazy. He's just like, yeah, fuck. I can't believe this didn't happen. He wanted to go back through the right then. And I was like, dude, no, nah, it's okay. We're, and he's like, no, nah, man, I just, yeah, we should have done that. You know, it's just, we got, we, if we would have had this much more time. We would have done this. And I'm like, Johnny, buddy. I mean, you know, I, I get it because he puts himself through the ringer. But at the same time, it's like, man, we're, you know, we're going to leave now. We're going to get something to eat. It's going to be fun. Uh, but when we went to throw axes, John last year, he was, he was the champion and he was the underdog coming in. Cause Ken, Ken could throw axes. It looked like at least Ken was, you know, Ken's a cop. So he can throw something. He throws something at a perp. It's Canada, a boomerang, a fucking, like I said, a syrup bottle, a hockey puck, whatever the fuck you throw at those people, a moose hoof. Uh, but John rallied, because early he, he wasn't, you know, it didn't look like he had the form. But as, as I said, you round into shape the more you wind up doing this competition. So that's what he did. He started firing away, and then wind up, uh, John winds up winning the whole axe fucking thing. So we go this time, and it's me and uh, Kendra and her girlfriend, Sarah, with an H, and then uh, Ken, of course. Stephen Brogy shows up, our boy Stephen Brogy. He was there. He was at the escape room as well. And then uh, our friends Michael Woods and Scott Sarna showed up. Now, I bet, you know, Michael, my, I was shocked to see Michael because I knew Michael was getting married that week because he wrote me. He's like, I can't come to the show, uh, but I'll try to make something else out. I mean, dude, the week of your wedding, there's just that's just a bad time to go throw axes with a stranger. So <laughs> I didn't anticipate seeing him, but luckily I walked, I walk in and there's Michael and Scott, and that was pretty cool. Uh, so let's see, that's those guys. And then, uh, yeah, so it was, and so we got, you know, we had six people We we got all lined up to fucking throw axes. And it was funny. Ken walked in and he grabbed an ax and he just, he fired it and it stuck right in the board. And I was like, what the fuck? I go, what, what do you, I go, did you join a league or something? And he goes, no, man, I built a thing in my backyard. I said, excuse me. He goes, yeah, after last year, it was fun. So I mean, me and my son throw them all the time in the backyard. I'm like, you son of a bitch. Basically, he didn't like losing to John Floor last year, so he's been outside. And I mean, this is Canada. All right, so it's not exactly warm. So he's out there in a parka. He's wrapped up in like a fucking Iditarod suit, and he's just throwing axes with John Floor's face in the bullseye, thinking about the time he's going to get his revenge and win the next year. So it must have been crushing for Ken that John Floor did not show up for this competition because he was hoping to dethrone him. Uh, but I saw immediately, I'm like, oh, fucking Ken. And I had done it the year before, so I knew I was going to need, so everybody else was new. So we, uh, <laughs> so we go ahead and get lined up in the first match. It's like, uh, it was Sarah against Michael and, uh, and then it was Brogy against Kendra. Uh, Scott was not throwing, but Scott was a little wonky as a wonky back. And, uh, so then they matched up those two. And then it turns out it's gonna be me and Ken in the first round. And I have to admit, I was holding, I was sitting in the back and I'm watching and they said it was going to be us in the first round. And I, I was like, all right, we're going to show these motherfuckers how it's done. So, um, you know, everybody else gets, again, early on, you don't have your form. You warm up, certainly, but it takes a hard time, a, a long time to get your form down. Uh, but, you know, but Kendra seemed to be okay, and Sarah was picking it up, and Brogy was Brogy. He was killing it. Uh, and, they, you know, they scored some points. They played, You play three games head-to-head, but then, of course, it's time for me and Ken. 
So me and Ken, we get up there. We look at each other. We look at everybody else kind of. And everybody's like, all right, there's a big showdown. And we actually took our axes. And this is, this is what we did because we're so dumb. Everybody else is just throwing axes and going, yay, we're friends. I looked at Ken. I held up my axe. He held out his axe. And we fucking tapped blades. <laughs> like, we were, like we were in a professional axe throwing league. The fucking idiots. Um, and then so we, we lined up. And uh, we were head-to-head for three games. And uh, you know what you do is you throw five axes in the first game, five axes in the second game, five, five axes in the third. And, uh, you know, the, of course, winner of two out of three games moves on or whatever. Uh, if the first guy wins two games, then you, you don't have to go ahead and play the second game. If you tie in a game, then you got to play a you know tiebreaker game. But if you go one, one, and one, or, or you tie all three games, then the big axe comes out and you got to throw that. So uh, we line up, we're throwing, and uh, I'm ready to go, and I got the form down. And I asked the woman, we had this girl, Andrea. She was a totally uh, little skinny girl, uh, attractive, very nice, and she was our coach. And uh, she kept telling me, she's like, hey, you should take a step up, you know, and I'm like, okay. And uh, But I was here the last time. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm an axe-throwing professional, so I know exactly what to do. So I rear back, and I throw it, and uh, I can't get it to stick in the board. Even when I'm warming up, I can't get it to stick in the board. I'm firing it and it just, it's, I mean, I'm, I've got good velocity. It's hitting, it's hitting in the bullseye part. It just won't stick. So you don't get any points and it keeps falling to the ground. So then it's time for me to play Ken and we get up there and, uh, we play three games. I, I don't, I, the first game scoreless. The good news though, in the first game, Ken scoreless. So I'm like, all right, well, this is fucking weird. But, uh, you know, cause Ken, right when he walked into the first axe, he threw went in the board. I'm like, ah, do, is he taking it easy on me? What the fuck? Second game. Ken, scoreless. The kid, scoreless. I, I couldn't buy even a one point, even, even off the board. I couldn't, I couldn't just get it off anywhere. I couldn't even, even when I hit the target, but not in the target. And we go to the third round and I look at him and I go, hey, uh, you want to trade axes? And he's like, what? I go, it's trade axes. It's tradition. Let's do that. So we did. We, we just swapped axes out. And the first uh, two throws, both of us scoreless. And then on the third throw, he gets like a three-pointer and then he gets a fucking, like a bullseye and I get nothing. I scored nothing in the first round. I had zero fucking points. Zero fucking points. And I'm the talent. I can't fucking go to a strange foreign country and not be the talent. I don't care if that talent is talking or rage rooming or axe throwing or escape brewing or whatever the fuck. I need to run the goddamn show, baby. Uh, but I, so I sat there. I was chastened. I will not lie to you. I was, I was uh, taken aback. By my lack of, because I mean, I was, I was killing it last time we played axes, but you know what? The way it works with this thing is you show up and nobody knows how to fucking throw axes right away. But then you, as you get into it, you start to get your form. So, uh, so the six of us, like I said, are paired off. Oh, and then, uh, Ken had a friend show up and her name was, uh, Stacy. Stacy showed up to throw axes and, uh, I, I, let's put it this way. I don't think even, I don't even think uh, Stacy knew how to spell axe, quite frankly. She was new to the whole enterprise. On the way to the, the, the thing... Uh, on the way to the axe throwing ex- extravaganza, Ken had spoken to her on a speakerphone, and I was like, "Oh, she sounds fun." And then she showed up at the uh, at the axe throwing, and uh, I'm going to say that she wasn't fun, I, and I'm going to say that in a, in a very uh, nice way. I'm going to try to be as uh, diplomatic as I possibly can, although it is my show, so I'll just tell you, uh, I didn't uh, I didn't care for it. I didn't care for her. I didn't care for any of her nonsense, quite frankly. And I don't want to get too far into this fucking bullshit, but. Uh, she showed up and it's like, you don't, again, you don't know me. You don't, you've never met me. And I'm there with a bunch of people who are friends. And, uh, and she walked up, you know, and I, I tried to be nice kind of in the beginning. I was like, hi, Stacy. And I met her and she goes, oh, you're, you're uh, the comedian that Ken mentioned. And I said, yeah. And, uh, she kind of made a face 
and then walked away, which was weird. And then she starts uh, talking to Ken, you know, because again, she doesn't know the rest of us. So she and Ken pair off and they're talking. Ken's doing a good job because again, look, Ken is doing the right thing. That's your friend. She doesn't know anybody. So try to include her, but also wind up talking to her. But it looked like, you know, she went and got a beer and she sat down. But then he says, you got to throw axes. She's like, man, I don't want to throw any axes. He goes, no, you have to throw axes. If you're here, we're putting you in. She goes, I've never done this in my life. Uh, But she gets thrown into the mix. So then the next matchup is me against her. Uh, I had just come off a bruising loss to Ken, but so that's good. You got to get a layup to fucking, you know, literally it's like a, uh, <laughs> it's a slump buster is what I'm going to call it. I had to get, I had to go ahead and get Stacy as a slump buster. So that's fine. So, uh, we get out there and again, three games, five throws each game. We go for the first game and, uh, again, Stacy's awful. Like she can barely lift the ax and I'm, I wing mine and it's hitting bullseye. It's hitting the board, but then bouncing off. And I finally look at Andrea, who's our skinny little, uh, ax Sherpa. And I go, I don't understand why this is happening. Can you explain? And she literally, she makes this face. She scrunches her little face up. Because when I say little, dude, she was maybe 5'1 and maybe 100 pounds. Uh, she had some ink and she had a pierced, she had a bunch of piercings. She had a pierced sternum, not a sternum. What the fuck is that? Septum. She had a pierced septum. She had pierced nostrils, pierced lip, pierced eyebrow. Uh, she looked like she had tripped and fallen face first into a tackle box. She looked like fucking uh, Rosanna Arquette from, from Pulp Fiction. It wasn't that, it wasn't maybe that much. It looked like if you had a magnet, you could fuck up her whole day. So, so I, I looked at her finally, cause again, she's the coach and I, and when you're the coach of the ax joint, it just means you're there keeping score. Right? So I look at her and finally I go, Hey man, what is happening here? Why am I so bad? And she scrunches up her little face and she just goes, I told you to put your foot here and you won't. And I said, well, uh, well, but you gotta be behind the line. She goes, no, you put your, you, you step to here. This is where you're supposed to be. Just put your foot here. And I went, all right. And, uh, I put my foot there and I threw an ax and, uh, and I buried it. I got two, a three pointer and it stuck in the board. And I just looked at her and she made this again, her little squishy face. And she just kind of like nodded like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, I told you. And I was, again, like I said, I was all right. Yeah. I can't, I can't argue with the chick. She had the fucking ultimate way. (laughs) She put me in my place. So, uh, so the first game, uh, I wind up playing against Stacy and I beat her. And I mean, I scored like 11 points. I mean, I, I'd land like three axes in a row. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Now we're fucking making it happen. So then we uh, switch sides. And then uh, in the second game, I can't get another thing to stick because I'm on a different target. I'm like, maybe my foot's in the wrong place. And then you get in your own fucking head about it. Uh, and then Stacy gets one to stick. She gets one point and she beats me in the second game. And I'm like, well, now I got to thrash this chick. Uh, you know, I can't, uh, this is, I'm now I'm one, one with Stacy. And she looks at me and she's like, oh my God, I can't believe I, I did that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can't believe you did that either. Uh, and I'm trying to be a pleasant presence because again, I'm there with all friends and people. And again, I'm the talent I'm in from out of town. So then, uh, <laughs> she, she switches sides with me and we start throwing. And I, again, I have the same problem where I can't get anything to stick. Bang, bang, bang. And finally on the fifth one in my head, I could just fucking nail this one just cause she can't get anything either. She's, she's all over the joint. She's too high. She's too low. Like literally she's spiking it into the fucking ground. She's not even coming close to the board. I'm hitting the board. Ah, guess what? My phone is making noise and that's bad news. I hate when that happens on the show. You know, you would think that I would turn my phone off like a fucking professional. Uh, but that's obviously somebody very important who has to get a hold of me because again, I'm the talent. No, oh, hey, let me check. Hold on. It's Stacy. She's actually telling me <laughs> to go ahead and tell them to be kind in the story. Um, I can't get anything to fucking stick. So we tie. So again, when you tie at the end in, t- in axes, uh, the big ax comes out with the long ax handle. And I just, I'm just fucking, all I got to do is stick this thing in the board. That's all you got to do. And, uh, 
I, last time I did this last year, we were throwing underhand hatchets. By the time, you know, once you're warmed up after two hours, now you're doing shit behind the back. You're throwing the fucking big axe from like a mile away. Last year, Ty Chidlow was a guy who showed up and he just started whipping the big axe and dominating it. It was great. And there's one, Tanya Shibali, who was a, a, a listener and a friend. She was there last year and she filmed me throw the big axe. And she actually posted it on the Joker page once and it like, it did, I buried it. It was fucking awesome. And, uh, and that was great. So they bring out the big axe and I'm very familiar with the big axe. Right. And like I said, Stacy can't even throw the fucking hatchets. So they give us the big axe. And, uh, I, I, again, I've, I'm very familiar with this from, uh, greed on greed. Remember I made the, uh, I, I said I was going to wait for that person to lose rather than try to win where I, I was going to wait that guy out on the question. And I knew the answer. I could have buzzed in, but I didn't. And instead, uh, on the next question, I buzzed in and then I lost. Eh, it's a mess. Greed was terrible. So <laughs> this time in my head, I go, fuck this. She goes, they go, who do, you, who do you want to go first? And in my head, I was like, well, make Stacy go first. She doesn't even know what the fucking axe is. I go, I said, I've done this before. I'll go first. Because now I'm like, I'm just going to put her out of her fucking misery. So I stand in the right place. I got the axe over my head and I, I whip it. And it fucking, again, it hits right near the bullseye, but it won't stick. It doesn't stick. It falls down. I'm like, God damn it. So then, uh, she looks at Stacy. She goes, you ready to go? She goes, I have never even lifted. I haven't touched this thing. I don't know what you're, t- I don't know how to do this. So Andrea brings her to give her some coaching, tells her where to stand and says, you know, you got it. Cause with the big ax, you kind of let it get the, got to let the ax do the work. You can't just fucking wing it. Uh, and so she gets up there and she's got the big ax and it's, it's behind her head and she's kind of closing her eyes and she's looking and she's trying to get the right thing. And she just reels back and lets it go. And it just, it, it's like a pop-up. Like it, it doesn't even get halfway down the way. And then it hits the fucking ground. It's, it doesn't even come close to the board. And, uh, and in my head, I'm like, all right. And, and I literally, I'm not joking you in my head. I went, well, fuck this. I'm putting her out of her misery. Like I'm winning this fucking thing right now. And I grab the ax and I go to the line and I, I even said out loud, I'm, I'm just throwing this thing right through the fucking board. I don't care if it sticks and I don't care about points. I'm just making sure it sticks there. And, and I, I, I'm going to fucking split this board in half. And Andrea's like, all right. Cause all you got to do with the big ax, you don't have to hit it in the targets. The bullseye is five. The next ring is three. And then the outside ring is one. But with the ax, if you just get it to stick in the wood, you get a point. So uh, I got the big ax. I reel back and, uh, and I just, in my head, I remembered, I'm like, you know what? Cause you gotta, yes, you do. You let the ax do the, the talking, but at the same time, you've got to put some velocity on it or you're dead. So sure enough, I just fucking put the big ax over my head and I fucking whipped it and boom, I stuck it hard in the goddamn board. It's stuck. And I'm like, good fucking clincher. Who cares? So, uh, so Andrea goes and gets it. And then Stacy's like, Oh my God. Yeah. You weren't even going to let me win. And I said, no, I, I, come on, man, go for it. And I walk away and I'm standing behind her. And I look at everybody who's watching and Andrea's giving her some advice again. And, uh, and in my head, I, I said to myself, I go, this is, this is a bad spot. Like you, you've left yourself in a bad spot. I mean, granted she's terrible, but who, the, who knows, man, who knows what, and who knows what could possibly happen. And then, uh, she gets the big ax and she stands in the spot and she puts it behind her head. And I look, I can't see her face. I don't know if she closed her eyes. I don't know if she yelped. I don't know what the fuck she did. All I know is she leaned back and she threw the ax and uh, I saw it. I saw it in slow motion. I was behind her. So I saw it was online and it made one full turn and then back into the half turn. And I, and I even closed my eyes right when it hit. It just went thunk. Uh, now, like I told you, I stuck it into the board and that's all you got to do. I didn't care about points. Well, uh, perhaps I should have cared about points. 
Although it probably wouldn't have mattered. Because uh, with the outer ring at one and the inner ring at three and the bullseye at five, Stacy put it dead center in the middle of the fucking board. Over her head. Just threw it and it like, I guess one and a half turns. And I mean, it, it was a perfect throw. Because I, I, here's the thing. I didn't even think she would get the velocity behind it to stick in the board. That's what I was so confident about. Even if she was online or on target, she wasn't going to get it to stick because with the big axe, you've got to have a little oomph behind it. And she, she just fucking threw it. And I saw it from behind her. I was like, in my head, I went, oh no, dude. And I closed my eyes and I heard it hit and I heard everybody yell. And I looked and it was dead center. She nailed it and beat me. And uh, I just started laughing and I went up to her and I said, dude, and I gave her a high five and I said, that's how it works. I said, that's how you got to show up. You can't tell us that you didn't know how to do this. You're a, you're a ringer. And then she goes, I beat you. And I said, ah, you did. Absolutely. I said, but that was amazing. I, I can't believe you even, she goes, I can't believe I did it either. I can't. I go, it's great, right? She goes, I beat you. I totally beat you. I said, you did. It was great. You threw a, I mean, you, you know, beat me with a bullseye even. That, that was fantastic. You got a bullseye with a big ax. That's fucking great. And she goes, I beat you. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> you should probably maybe stop saying that. I mean, cause it's the thing where you're I look again, I'm laughing. We're magnanimous. We're having a good time, but, uh, she hadn't been kind up to that point anyway. She'd been kind of aloof. And then for her to keep going, I beat you, I beat you. It's, uh, look, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a grown man, but inside me, there's still an 11-year-old boy who wants to fucking win everything. And, uh, and I, I, look, I blew it off. I was like, all right, yay. And I, and I, I just started laughing. And everybody, of course, they're just busting my balls. And I'm like, oh, what are you going to do, man? I mean, I can't fucking, <laughs> it was a, it's a fluke, but sometimes you lose on a fluke. Uh, and then, so now I've lost two games. And it's a round-robin tournament, so I don't look good for the playoffs at all. So then everybody else starts throwing. Sarah's doing good. Kendra starts to pick it up. She's doing good. Ken, of course, has it. But, uh, and Michael Woods, by the way. Also, I should tell you this. Michael Woods and Scott Sarner that I mentioned, I, I, they were there. And uh, and Michael had perfect form. Like, it was just weird. He, he looked, it, Michael Woods looked like, if you were to draw a person throwing axes on a cave wall, that was a, that's what Michael Woods' form was like. It was amazing. He was so good. And, uh, oh, yeah, I mentioned that Scott had the wonky back, of course, and he couldn't throw. Uh, but I walked around and took some selfies with everybody and stuff, and, and uh, everybody else started to throw and have fun. So, like I said, Michael was really good. Ken, of course, was good because he'd built a fucking target in his backyard and practiced for a year. Uh, Sarah and, and Kendra were learning. But, uh, but then the dark horse, the legendary Stephen Brogy, comes out of nowhere. And he starts to win and he starts to win by, by like big margins. Like he's scoring like 15 points. He's getting bullseyes. And the best thing about it is he's, uh, if I, if I say that Michael Woods had the form that you would draw on a cave wall, Stephen Brogy had the form of a guy who learned how to throw axes while chasing somebody in the woods. I, I mean, he just, he had, his arms were akimbo. He, he went, you know, he had good form over his head. Like, you know, you got to go over your head with two hands. But then as he would, on his approach, he would drop his left hand and just fucking fling it kind of sideways with his right arm. And it stuck every goddamn time. Thunk, thunk, thunk. To the point where we're behind him. And every time he gets up there, we're going, come on, Brogy. Come on, Brogy. And, and he would do it. And I said to Michael, Brogy, you need a war cry, goddammit. You need a war cry. Because the way he was throwing, it looked like, like I said, it looked like he was trying to subdue an attacker. He would just come flying over all arms in fucking nowhere. And then thunk, thunk, thunk. And, uh, and so then he started, I'm going to do this and I apologize. I'm warning you, but I'm going to back way up from the microphone. So then whenever he would start to release, I go, Brogy, you need a war cry. And then he wouldn't do a war cry because again, he's concentrating. And also he's a human being. He doesn't want to do a fucking war cry in a crowded building, but I have no such compunctions. So, uh, so sure enough, he'd go to throw. And right when he get to the apex of the delivery, I go, "Ah!" 
like this like ridiculous war cry, and I and I would yell it every time he would do he would do it, and it would stick. You know, he wasn't thrown. Uh, but he starts to just clean house, man. I, and and it was gorgeous. It was fun to watch. Because again, Stephen Brogy, let's talk about Stephen. He's a listener and uh good guy. I had met him last year. And I will say, this is my impression of Stephen Brogy. He seems like a man who might be, uh, you know, a little shy. Uh, and also compared to me, everybody's shy. Of course, I'm there. I'm talking everybody. I'm doing the best I can. And Stephen, you know, he's a nice person. And when you talk to him, he talks. But he's not exactly, you know, he's not gregariously jumping into the conversation. He's a, you know what he is? He's a normal person. How about that? Let's put it that way. Because <laughs> there are, there, he, if he's in the conversation and in the flow of the conversation, he's fine. But he's not going to jump in and make a spectacle of himself, is my point, as opposed to me, who's doing a war cry in Canada in a building I've only been in for the second time in my life. Uh, so Stephen, it, Every with every single axe throw, you could see his confidence grow, and you see him came out of come out of his shell. He just came; he was emerging. He, he was no longer Stephen Brogy. He was Chief Brogy. He was Warrior Brogy. He was he was the last of the Brogheekins. That's what he was for fuck's sake. He was just he was getting it done and not even thinking twice. It was fantastic. So we go through. We get to the playoffs and. Uh, I'm not in the playoffs. Again, only four people can make the playoffs. Guess who doesn't make the playoffs? Me and uh, Stacy, of course, because Stacy never got another fucking axe to stick in the board after she killed me. She threw the big axe, and I even told her, because I will say this, she stayed in the pl- in, you know, to play like two more games, and I, uh, when they called her to play, she's just like, I have to play again, and I go, you know what, if I was you, I would never play again. I said, literally, I would, I would never throw another axe the rest of my life. You threw a big axe bullseye, that should be your final statement. You dropped the mic on this, this competition for the rest of your life. Um, and we laughed, but she, you know, she wanted to participate and play and stuff, and she, but she lost. She never got another one to stick. Never got another one to stick. And I, every time I saw it, I was just like, duh. Um, I played. I wound up winning one game. Uh, who did I beat? I think I beat Kendra. And then, or I might have thrashed Sarah. I don't know. I beat one of those two. I might have beat them both. I might have beat the whole Kendra and Sarah extravaganza. The whole, all of them, both of them. Bring them all on. Uh, but it was fantastic and fun. And then we get to the playoffs. And of course, it's Stephen Brogy who makes the playoffs. Ken, who makes the playoffs. Michael Woods, he of the perfect form, who makes the playoffs. And Sarah, with an H, who makes the playoffs. And in the first round, uh, you know, they got a match. One versus four and two versus three. The number one seed was our, uh, our good friend Ken. And he had to take on number four, Stephen Brogy. And the number two seed was Michael Woods, and he has to take on Sarah with an H. So uh, they make him go right away, and Ken and Steven get up to the line. And, uh, and like I said, Ken's good. He's got one in his yard. He knows what he's doing. But uh, but he was no match for the Brogy steamroller. Brogy's coming over, and just I'm busting out war cries, and he's sticking it constantly. And Ken, Ken's a cop, and Ken's you know a, a guy. He's a man. And you could see that he was, uh, even he was a little thrown by it. You know, he's just going, uh, is this guy ever going to miss? Because he wasn't going to miss. And we kept yelling at him. We're like, Brogy, look at you. You look like a serial killer. Like, we, we, you know what we called the night? We said the night was his origin story. Like, there were going to be stories now all over fucking Kitchener and everywhere else about them finding just body parts and axes and, and fucking hands and fingers. And, and nobody would suspect Brogy except us because we all, we all saw his origin story. It was like, dude, I was like, dude, you're Bruce Willis and Unbreakable, and this is your train crash. This is fucking it. And, but we didn't even have to kill your parents to do it, for fuck's sake. Um, he pounds Ken into the ground. Like, I mean, he, just, he, he beats him in the first two games. They play the third game for fun. And, uh, and Ken loses. Then Michael Woods has to go against Sarah. And of course, Michael Woods just got out there and just fucking walks like an Egyptian. Perfect knee placement, perfect foot placement. And even Andrea is just taking notes. She's the coach. And she's even going, ah, this guy, this is a guy who's perfect. And uh, so Michael Woods dispatches Sarah with a plume. And, uh, and then uh, at the end, it's a brogy and Michael Woods. It's, it's chaos versus stability. 
it's corporate versus uh, wild man. It, it is, it is a, again, perfect form against a guy who's coming out of his shell and learning who he is as a guy, as a person. And, uh, and let me tell you something. Normally you would think that subdued and, and uh, slow and steady wins the race. No, fuck that. No, the, the tortoise was trounced as Brogy the hare fucking just dominates. Thunk, thunk, thunk. And Stephen Brogy winds up walking away with the X championship. And, uh, and it was, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And then at the end we took photos and then he, you know, Stephen, I'm getting a re- again, I'm giving a, my read on Steven. He's a guy who doesn't mind melting into the background. He's a guy who's just like, Hey, I'm happy to be here. This is fun. And we're having a good time. Uh, we started, they said, we got to take pictures with everybody. I go, Brogy, you're in front. And he's just like, I, well, I don't, you know, I go, no, no, dude, fuck no. You're in front. And you got to hold two axes. I go here, take these. And I and we gave him like the big axe and another axe. We're just like, you got to hold this shit, man. Cause you're in the front and you, you dominated, you won. Um, and then they took pictures. I was like, you know, looking ba- like badasses, then doing war cries and stuff. And they're up now at battle axe. I, I, they've shared some of them into the Joker page. I know that, but, uh, but God damn, it was fun as hell. It was so great. And, uh, cause I said last year, John floor, uh, who could not make it this year? Last year, John Flora was the champion. So now next year, when I go back to Toronto, I mean, we got to get John and Steven in the room uh, just to see. Well, if Steven's not in jail for having axe murdered people all over the fucking province, I have no idea how that's going to work. Uh, but I know John Flora is probably practicing with axes and everything else because that's how John is. When we lost in the escape room the previous day, uh, John kept mentioning we should go to another escape room. We should go to another escape room. Even when we went to the Blue Jays game a couple days later, he texted and he's like, "Hey, there's an escape room right by there. If we want to go in and check that out." Uh, and, and Ken looks at me and he goes, is he serious? I go, he's absolutely serious. You know, John, he doesn't want, he doesn't want to take a fucking L. I mean, he's, he's like, he's one of those dudes who loses and immediately goes, all right, I'm going to get better. And he wants to just tackle it again in fucking five minutes. He wanted to go through the room again that day. Um, so if we can possibly, well, cause that's so that when I literally, when I go back for John Flores revenge tour next year, that's what it's going to be. John wants to win the escape room. John and Brogy are going to have to go head to head in the axes. It's going to be amazing. Uh, so after that, we go out, we split, everybody says goodbyes. And we were, we had a thing planned. We were going to go to see, um, we were talking about dinner, but it was, just wasn't enough time because the, the axes lasted long. So we were meeting John, Ken and I were meeting John to go watch Predator, uh, the movie Predator at the movie theater. And, uh, and John had asked Stacy if she wanted to go. So we go outside and Michael Woods is there and I'm talking to Michael and Scott and Michael was getting married that weekend. I gave him a big hug. I told him congratulations. He said he probably wouldn't make the show. I said, yeah, I totally get it, dude. I mean, I can't even believe he came out for this during your wedding week. That's the craziest fucking time. Uh, but it was nice. It was so great to see Michael. And, uh, and he actually texted me. It's funny. I got to town and he texted me. He's like, Mr. Schmidt, I hope you had a fantastic trip and I'm looking forward to possibly seeing you at some point this week, but I'm getting married this weekend. But it came from a number. I don't have a name. It was like 512, and I'm like, hey, the trip was great. Thanks. I'm glad. And oh, by the way, who is this? I have no idea who this might be. And then he wrote back who it was. I'm, uh, now he's, he's you know, comfortably ensconced in my phone, which makes me happy. Um, but then we go outside, and Scott and Michael and me and Ken and Stacy are out there. And uh, Stacy sits down on a wall, and uh, I'm like, all right, what are we doing? Are we going to go to the movie? And Michael's like, no, I'm talking to him. I'm talking to Scott, saying goodbye to them. And uh, Stacy looks over, and she goes, uh, you know, you haven't made me laugh once yet. And uh, I said, excuse me? She goes, you haven't made me laugh once. If you're supposed to be in town to, to make people laugh, you're, you're doing a bad job of it. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I said, it's early. I go, we got a whole week left. And I started to talk to Scott and Michael again. And I, and, but I, I looked at Ken like, you got it. Are you fucking kidding me with this? Uh, um, because I've met that person. I've had that happen to me many times. You know, you go on the road, you meet somebody, and that's why I don't tell anybody I'm a fucking comedian because half the time they're like, tell me a story, tell me a joke, be funny. And and you're just like, it's not like, it's not how it works. You know what I mean? And and 
So I was talking to Scott. I said goodbye to him, and he and Michael uh, give Michael a hug. They go to split. And then she looks and she goes, you know, seriously, you haven't made me laugh. I mean, I don't, you know, because she goes, how am I supposed to go to this movie if you haven't made me laugh yet? And I said, uh, you know what? I don't care. I don't fucking care that I've made you laugh. And she goes, really? And I go, yeah, really. It's not my job. I go, you know what? Actually, if you want to pay me, I'll be happy to make you laugh. She goes, oh, I got to pay you now? I said, yeah, if you're going to sit here and call a shot and you want me to make you laugh, then by all means, pay me and I'll fucking turn it on. And uh, the thing is, I have no, I have no patience for that with somebody, especially with somebody I don't know. I don't know this person. I don't, but, but she's a ball buster. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't ready to get my balls busted by a stranger. If Ken is doing it and everybody else, I'm having fun. And I know those people. And if you, if you know what, if Stacy had come out the year before and and we met and we were friendly, that would be fine. This is the first night I'm seeing you, man. And, and, uh, and she goes, well, it's okay. I beat you anyway in there. So I guess you don't need to make me laugh. I already beat you once tonight. Uh, And I, I'm like, yep, you won. And I looked at Ken and I'm just like, yeah. And Ken's like, eh, relax. So we're going to go to Predator and meet John. And he asks Stacy if she's going to go. And she's like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure. And it was this whole trip of like, she really, she wanted to be really asked. You know, does that, uh, I can't even, I don't want to get too deep in the psychosis of it, but you could tell that what she wanted was for us to go, please go, please go. Um, she, she, it, it's just, I, I, it's a it's a way to make yourself important, and and uh, she didn't need to do that. You know, it just, it was just weird. I mean, just just fucking be fun and say you'll go or you don't go or whatever. But well, I don't know if I want to go. You know what? You should go see another movie. There's a different movie that you would like that we should probably go see. Let's see you see this instead. Let's see Peppermint instead. And and I'm just like I'm just gritting my teeth. Like who the fuck are you to call shots? We 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 have plans. We know what we're doing. But I don't say anything. And and I'm trying to be better at that. I don't want to get upset. I don't want to be a guy who's just like, no, fuck you, man. We're going to this. Even though that's partially who I am as a dude. Is I just wanted to go, hey, fuck you, man. We're going to this. Um, but instead I backed off, you know. And and then uh, she's like, well, I'm gonna leave. You know, I'll start driving toward there, and I'll tell I'll text you guys to let you know if I'm gonna show up. And. Uh, and and so Ken, you know, we get there to the, to the theater. Ken buys the tickets, and uh, we go upstairs. We meet John. He's up there, and then of course she's not coming. She texts that she's not going to show up. And I think Ken, I think Ken actually bought her a ticket. And it was, and he wasn't fucking around. We sat, we went to see Predator in this fucking theater that had rumble seats. You know what those are? Uh, they had the fancy seats where like a waitress comes and brings you food, which uh, you know, I who cares? I'm, I don't, I don't need maple glazed pork chops while I watch the Predator kill people. I mean, that's a fun idea. We have those theaters here in L.A., and I still haven't gone to one yet. I know Pat Francis goes to it a couple of times, but where you sit down and then waiters come in. I, dude, I want to watch a fucking movie. I don't, I don't want to see waiters, and I especially because here's the deal. Like, I, I'm not gonna. I know I'm not going to order food. There's a, there's a novelty to it, but I mean, I'm not going to order any food. However, I know the people around me will order food because that's the whole, uh, you know, draw of the theater. And that makes sense. But I don't want to be there when they're bitching about the fact that their club soda is flat or their potatoes are cold. I mean, fuck, I'm again, I'm trying to watch a goddamn movie. I don't need to hear about your green beans, motherfucker. So I got no interest in those seats, but, uh, but Ken didn't even ask. He just bought, he bought the rumble seats, which are like a level below. And what it is, is you sit in them and they move. There used to be this thing when I was a kid. There was a movie called Earthquake in 1974, I believe, and it came out, and they said it was in Sense Around. And what that meant was the seats moved and vibrated. Well, they've updated that now. Like, they brought 3D back. They brought Sense Around back, but it's a rumble seat. And you sit in it, and the whole fucking thing... You know, it's that technology. If you go to Star uh, Happy Days... Or Happy Days. Fucking Disney. Why the, the fuck? Oh, because happy, Happiest Place on Earth. That's where my brain went. Jesus Christ. If you go to Disney, they have Star Wars, Star Tours. And if you sit in that fucking thing... 
you know, that, that seat sinks and stuff sprays in your face and it moves around. I mean, the whole seat is the key to your experience. And that's what the rumble seat is. It's basically a seat from Star Tours or the Simpsons ride, but in a movie theater. So when a helicopter comes choppering in, your seat kind of vibrates because you're, it's like you're in a, a helicopter. Or if there's a car crash, your seat shakes, you know, that sort of thing. So we go in, we sit in the rumble seats, and uh, and uh, this was interesting too. We, we we went and sat down. It's me, John, and Ken, and we bought seats all next to one another, and they were all lit up. And then when we sat down, for, um, first of all, I should tell you this. This is my first time in a real theater in a very long time. I usually go to the Arclight, and the Arclight has no commercials. It has three or four trailers, and then a movie plays. That's it. That's, it's just, it's the perfect experience. Uh, this thing, I, again, this was the first time, last time I was in a movie theater like this was in Kuwait and they just, you are bamboozled. I mean, you are fucking bombarded and crushed and smashed by, by commercials for a bank, for, for food, for Coke, for, I mean, and the same commercials over and over. And then these vignettes, like they showed, this is the thing they showed. There's a movie out, I think called a simple favor. Or a simple plan. I don't know. No, a simple plan is Billy Bob Thornton. A simple favor, I think it's called. And it's Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick. And I really want to see it. It looks good. And by it looks good, I mean I've heard some buzz, uh, some, uh, buzz about it. I have not watched a trailer. I don't know a fucking thing. I don't want to know anything about it. But sure enough, they run a five-minute vignette about a simple favor. And I covered my eyes and ears and I fucking hummed. I'm not joking. I kept peeking to see the, the words of simple favor were still at the bottom of the screen. And I'm like, and my ears were covered. And John looked at me and he's, he, I could tell he's just like, what the fuck are you doing? I go, I want to see this movie. I don't want to know anything about it. Um, but they did that. They did it for some movie called Assassination Nation or I don't fucking know, whatever. They kept having these vignettes, these behind the scenes. Then they got a guy and he goes fishing and he's, he's talking about eating snow caps in a kayak or whatever. I mean, dude, fuck. Just get the movie on. Nobody gives a flying fuck. Nobody and nobody has anybody ever changed banks because they saw the fucking ad before a movie at a movie theater. I hope not. I hope nobody's like, holy shit. You know, I've had a pretty good time over there at that credit union. But these guys, they know where to find me. They, they know where I live. So you switch all your money out. Fuck that. And why are banks advertising anyway? Jesus fucking Christ. You're just you're just a money barn. That's all you are. But I guess they get interest on whatever they store. Who fucking knows? I don't know how banks work. Who am I? Fucking a grown up? Uh so, so sure enough, we sit in the rumble seats and th- I'm not joking. Fucking 40 minutes goes by of trailers and vignettes and bullshit. And, uh, there's a trailers. Here's the conceit for the, there's a thing called bad times at the El Royale, which is John Hamm, Jeff Bridges, the chick from 50 shades and, uh, and a bunch of other people in this movie. They showed eight different trailers for it because they kept showing all these like 15 second vignettes. And then they showed the two minute trailer, but they spaced them out amidst everything else. And, uh, and it made no fucking sense. And it also showed way too much of the goddamn movie because now I'm not going to uh, spoiler alert you, but whatever the fuck God cares. We're, so we're watching that. And it finally ends and they're ready to start the movie. And when the, when the rumbling starts, like the credits start and the rumbling starts. And I noticed John moved away to sit. He didn't sit, want to sit in the middle. Cause Ken took a seat. I took a seat and there was a middle seat left. And John, he, you know, he didn't want to sit between us and I don't blame him. So he moves about three seats down. So right when the movie starts, I my tiny brain makes this and solves a puzzle and goes, hey, I look at John, I go, is your seat moving? And he goes, no. And I go, it's because these are lit up. That's why the numbers were lit up when we showed. Because I thought it was this thing where just to show what seats were sold, but no, it was what, what rumble seats were activated. So sure enough, John gets up and he sits in the rumble seat next to me and, uh, and the predator starts and it goes on about five minutes and I see out of the corner of my eye, Ken gets up and bails. He just leaves. And I'm like, all right, I hope he's okay. 
And then I never see him come back. I watched the entire Predator movie. I never see him come back. I peeked down at one point. He's not even there. Like, he's not in his seat. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And here's how selfish I am. This guy bought my ticket. And I'm staying at his house. And I see that he's not in the theater. And in my head, I'm just like, oh, I'm sure he'll come back. <laughs> and I just watched the rest of the movie. I could have gone to look for him. He could be you know, he could be outside throwing up. Maybe he got a text from Stacy to meet her in the lobby. I don't fucking know what's going on. So in my brain... I thought this is odd and I should probably go look for him. But at the same time, he's a cop. He's fine. He'll be okay. Maybe he got a call. Maybe he's tackling a perp. Maybe there's a perp walk going on right now outside past the fucking non-pariels out there past the Sour Patch Kids. And I don't know anything about it. Uh, And I don't want to get involved. I didn't bring my gun to the theater. You know me. I'd like to leave my my theater experience gun free. So Ken bails. And then the movie starts. And here's where I'm going to tell you there's a spoiler alert, folks. Because I'm going to talk a little bit about the Predator movie. Uh, I, I don't, uh, it was one of those movies that like, you know, when we talked about going, cause I, I wanted to go here in LA and I, I actually won tickets. This is the weirdest thing ever. I, I, you know, John, uh, Ken was like, Hey man, predator opens. Don't fucking see it. And I'm like, all right, we'll go to that. That'll be awesome. And a month prior I had entered a contest with like collider magazine or collider.com to win tickets to a screening of the predator. Well, I get an email and it says, Hey man, you've won tickets to the predator. And it's a Q&A with Shane and Black Shane Black afterwards. And I, you know, again, I'm going to see The Predator in Toronto, so I don't really care about the movie, but to be in the fucking room with Shane Black and do a Q&A with him, that's fucking fantastic. I'm totally on board with that. So it was a Thursday, the Thursday before I left for Toronto, I contact Pat. I'm like, hey, man, you want to go to this? And he goes, oh, I'd love to, but I'm playing poker with my friends and helping a buddy of mine move a dresser that day. Now, uh, I was supposed to play poker with him and his friends and because uh, there are friends. And also, guess who he was helping move the dresser? Me. Ha <laughs> ha. And so I was properly admonished and I said, look, I get that. But I mean, dude, Shane Black's going to be in the room. It's a and a He goes, yeah, I, I can't. I can't make it. He goes, uh, you know, they actually kind of changed the game schedule for me this month. And I said, ah, fuck. So I never confirmed. And I was waiting to go and I knew I was going to see it in Toronto. And then I'm like, well, well, do I see it here and then tell the guys in Toronto I didn't see it? You know, or do we take it off the agenda because they all wanted to go? And then uh, thankfully, the day before the screening, uh, or two days before the screenings, I was supposed to see it on Thursday and then Tuesday night, I get an email and, uh, it said, Hey, uh, the Q and a with Shane black has been unfortunately canceled, but we've still got the IMAX screening of the predator for you. And I'm like, so long, crabby, not happening for me. So long, Preddy. I don't need to see you and your predator bullshit. I'm going to go see it with my friends in Toronto. And also I knew why Shane black was canceling the Q and a, cause if you didn't follow the predator movie story, uh, Shane black cast a sex offender in the movie who was in a scene with Olivia Munn. He didn't tell her that he was a sex offender. And then she found out about it and she said, Hey, I want that fucking scene out of the movie. And he took it out. And then Olivia Munn went on a press tour and she's like, yeah, there's a sex offender in this movie. They cut him out. I was pissed. They didn't tell me. And then Shane black issued an apology, not personally, but he issued one via a press release. And Olivia Munn goes, uh, I don't accept this apology. He didn't give it to me. He put me in an awkward spot, a spot that I never would have conceded uh, to or, or, or consented to. And so uh, I'm out. I, I'm doing this because I'm, I'm contractually obligated. Yeah, I can't even fucking talk. Contractually obligated to do this press tour. Uh, and because of that, I'm here. And by the way, she's doing all that shit while the other actors are sitting next to her, like with their heads in their hands. Just like, oh, oh man, we got to deal with this bullshit now. Uh, but in reality, you know, it's fucking Shane Black's fault. Don't be casting a fucking sex predator in your goddamn movie and then making him do a scene with the fucking star of the, the woman star of the film. Uh, so, so the point is I came in clean in Toronto. I'm excited to see it. And the predator starts. And look, I'm not going to totally spoil this movie. But what I'm going to tell you is that the predator story is just like the Terminator story for me. It makes 
no sense. If you think, if you think about it for 30 seconds, it makes no sense. Uh, the Predators, they come to Earth, you know, in the, in the previous movies. There's, I think there's nine other Predator movies. There's just there's like a six-pack of them, for fuck's sake. But the first one's the only one I want to talk about. That's the good one. That's the one we'll deal with. It's Because it's Schwarzenegger. It's Carl Weathers. It's Jesse the Body Ventura. It's that guy who was an Indian in every movie back in the 80s when they, they could kind of pass him off as one. Um, and then Shane Black also stars in the first Predator. He wrote it, but he's also one of the guys in fucking Schwarzenegger's crew. And they wind up fighting the Predator in the jungle and uh, there's a bunch of crazy shit that happens. And it's, you know, it's just, it's a stupid movie, but it's, it's macho, manly, tough guy nonsense. And, you know, in the eighties, I'm all, I'm, I'm all about that. That was fucking cool. Let's see Schwarzenegger flex. Let's see him fight a predator. Let's see all this bullshit happen. Carl Weathers is huge. Let's see Jesse Ventura say he ain't got time to bleed. Let's just fucking check out all this stuff, man. I'm on board. Uh, but in reality, so that's when the predator came to earth. He came to earth to hunt. And when you find out in subsequent stories, what the predators do is they go to every planet and they hunt their biggest, uh, their toughest guys. And they take their skull and their spine as a trophy. And then they go uh, back into space because that's all they are. They're intergalactic interplanetary hunters. So I guess in the subsequent predators, they, uh, I saw predator two and that's, that's awful. It's Danny Glover just, just hyperventilating his way, huffing and puffing and just not breathing. He's out of shape and he's got to fight a predator and he winds up on a ship. And then it turns out they have like the coolest thing of that movie is the alien skull is on there from the movie aliens. So they went to that. It's like they went to the xenomorph planet and they they beat them and took their skull. And you're like, all right, that's cool. I I get that. That's fucking sweet. Um, But so that's the deal. The predators intergalactic hunter. Well, in this movie, uh, you know, it starts out where there's, there's, you're in the jungles of Latin America and there's a drug team and then there's a fucking bounty hunter guy. It looks like, he, I don't know if he's with the military or not. And he's in camouflage, but he's a sniper and he's ready to kill a guy. And then the predator crashes and the predator leaps out of his ship. And then he's, he's fucking invisible. Nobody can see him. And he kills like eight dudes. He guts them. Like he fucking hangs a guy from a tree and his guts are falling out. He just kills a bunch of dudes and, uh, and it's perfect. It's beautiful. It's what, that's what the predator does. But then as the story unfolds, it turns out that this predator who came to Earth, and again, this is where the spoiler alert gets into it, and I apologize. I'm going to spoil this. Um, I'll give you time to run away, and I'll tell you what. I will only talk about this. Well, I can't say that. Who the fuck knows how long I'm going to talk about this? The point is the movie makes no fucking sense. Because again, if you think about it for five minutes, why did the predator come back to Earth? But then you find out later there's a reason the predator came back to Earth. The pred- this predator came back to Earth to warn us that the other predators were going to try to take our planet away from us. And, and so this actually alleviated my concerns because I was like, well, they already defeated a human. They took his skull and his spine or they were already defeated by us. Why would they come back? Uh, they came back because it's one predator, rogue predator. And it turns out that the predators are stealing all of the best DNA from all over the planets in the galaxy to make themselves impervious to whatever the fuck. And they came here because glo- global warming, again, brace yourselves, global warming is going to wipe us out. So the, uh, the predators want to go ahead and use some of our DNA so they can breathe our air and live on our planet once global warming wipes us out. Um, and, and so it's up to this ragtag bunch of misfits. And I, I don't even say that as a joke. Literally, it's a bunch of dudes who are on their way to a military prison and they all got fucking tough guy names. Like I'm Nebraska Williams. I'm, I'm, you know, cocky McCockfuck. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's who these dudes are. And they tell dumb jokes and they talk about pussy and it's, 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 it's a very man movie. It's a very dude movie, but, but also it's dumb. It's dumb as hell. In the beginning of the movie, there's an autistic kid or Asperger's kid or whatever the fuck. He's on the spectrum. He's also he's a, you know, he's a fucking shaky head. So he he's in a fucking classroom, and then a, a fire alarm goes off, and he covers his ears because he doesn't like loud noises. He's like ah ah, and then these bullies come in and they make fun of him, 
and then they knock all the chess pieces off of 10 boards because the other kids have run out for the fire drill. So Aspie gets up and he's like, fuck, that's, that was, that sucked. And then he takes all of the chess pieces off the ground and he he puts them all back on the board in exactly the same place as they were before those kids knocked them down. So now, you know, he's something special, but I'll tell you this for a kid who was bothered by a fire alarm. He sure didn't mind the uh, fucking nine military firefights he got into later in the goddamn movie. I mean, there's fucking rocket fucking shoulder cannons and, and machine guns. He himself kills somebody. That's not a joke. The little kid, the, for a joke, he goes out trick-or-treating. Some guy makes fun of him, and he, he gets mad. And the, the fucking predator technology that he has uh, senses that he wants to attack that guy. So it kills a guy on his own balcony, blows him to bits. And, uh, and it's played for a laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Can you believe Aspie just killed the fucking guy? And then the bullies, of course, see it. And they're like, whoa. And they run away because he flinches at them. But this predator who came to save us, like I said, he's come to warn us about what's going on with the predators, right? That they're going to come and steal our planet away. Um, but the first thing he does is he kills eight dudes. Like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? Why wouldn't you white flag it? Why wouldn't you just, like, show up in D.C.? I understand you crash landed because, again, his ship all fucked up. But at least come out and, and invisible. And try and try to talk to somebody. White flag, anything. Draw a map in the in the dirt and just go. I come in peace. I don't shoot me. Whatever the fuck. Instead, he just immediately starts killing guys. So of course they think you're the fucking enemy. Uh, so it turns out that he's injured. They wind up getting him, and it turns out the government has previous predator technology. They come to get Olivia Munn. By the way, Olivia Munn. In case, here's how you, here's how Olivia Munn gets involved. Brace yourselves. She's walking her dog, and the government pulls up and goes, "You're coming with us, ma'am." And she's like, what? And she goes, uh, and they, they say something about we've made contact. So she just kind of nods grimly and she gets in the van and, uh, she gets taken to a super secret base where they've got the predator on lockdown and she has to take off all of her clothes and get a fucking like a chemical bath. So she doesn't infect anybody. But of course you don't see anything. They, they tease you. They're like, you remove all your clothes. And then she does, but nobody sees anything. Uh, but in, while she's getting her clothes off, she tells the story of how she's come to be involved in the predator. When she was six years old, she wrote a letter to the white house. And she said, hey, basically it was like, hey, if you guys ever find any aliens, you should give me a call. And, uh, and now, then she got older and she became a, like a hybrid DNA specialist, one of the top molecular biologists or whatever the fuck in the country. And uh, so the, <laughs> when the predator comes to town, apparently they go, hey, let's look at our file of letters from six-year-olds and see if any of them know anything about aliens. And they find hers and they go and they grab her and her dog out of a fucking city park. And that's not even a joke. That's how she gets involved. Uh, so she's there. And then the sniper dude who fucking steals the predator's helmet and then send it to his Aspie kid. And then, then there's a fight. And, and again, it's always, it's always these things that happen. Like you can't ever watch these movies and go, oh man, that would never happen. Cause again, you're just watching a movie about a fucking monster from space who, who's indestructible. And, and you can't say, well, then that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen because you're just invalidating the entire premise. But there are things even within the premise that you can invalidate. This predator comes to town. He kills like eight dudes. They get him. He's super strong. He kills a lab full of dudes. And, uh, and then a super predator comes looking for him. And that's not even a joke. A gigantic, super tall monster predator comes looking for him. And, uh, and they, they wind up having a predator fight in a middle school. And also that predator brings predator dogs. And they're, they're hunting the guy. And they, they're like the Hulk dogs. Dudes. And I know, I know you're like, Mike, you're making this sound worse than it is. But trust me, see it. When you see it, you'll be like, yeah, no, this is, a, this is fucking atrocious. And it's filled with that kind of dialogue. Like there's one guy, like there's a guy with Tourette's, it's Thomas Jane. And he, he, he looks at Olivia Munn once and he goes, eat my pussy or eat your pussy. And she goes, you just said, eat my pussy. And he goes, I didn't. I said, geez, you're pushy. And then they have a big argument. Like eight people are like, no, he didn't say that. He wouldn't say that. And she's like, no, I heard it. I distinctly heard you say it. And I guess it's just to make Olivia Munn say, eat my pussy over and over. I, it's the only thing I could think of. So you can get a fucking sample for on the internet. Uh, 
but they're trying to be funny. They're trying to play it for laughs. These guys, you know, because they're they they snack on danger and they dine on death. They're the legion of doom of fucking ragtag military dudes, and they're gonna fuck up this predator. So and then, like they they're in a bus, and then the bus turns over. And look, I won't give it away. There's two nods to the original predator that are that are that are silly, but you hear them and you go, oh cool, I got what they were trying to do there, and I won't give those away. I'm just going to give away the rest of the movie and the plot and the ending. (laughs) We'll give away the ending, I promise. But, you know, there's a bunch of fights. They're in a bus that rolls over, and then all of a sudden they find a Winnebago filled with military weapons. It's like that kind of dumb shit. Like, at one point, the good, you know, the bad guys get away, and they're on a farm. They're like, fuck, what are we going to do? And then two of these guys, the ragtags, show up with a fucking helicopter. They stole it from a local television station. Hop in. And they get in the outfit in the helicopter and they fly off. I mean, again, they always, nobody runs out of bullets, endless bullets and clips, uh, all the ammunition you could possibly want. It, it's just, I mean, and look, there's some stuff, there, there's some stuff that's funny. Like, it's one of those movies, if you watched it on cable at one in the morning with a pizza, you'd be like, all right, I'm on board. And you and your friends would just make fun of it. But if you paid 25 bucks a head to sit in rumble seats, you got to be like, ah, God damn it, I'm furious at this movie. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of people don't go to movies so much anymore because they're like, Jesus, what if you pay 18 bucks and the movie blows? That's terrible. Um, so we, but we watched it, man. And I'm with Johnny Floor. And there, there were a couple of things that, that, you know, there were a couple of parts that really made me laugh out loud. And one part made me cheer. Uh, but then, you know, cause I gave myself over to it. I go, you know what? I'm not going to hate this. I mean, it's silly and dumb, but I'm going to, I'm just going to fucking marinate in it. And, uh, but also so I didn't even tell you this part. So again, the super predator comes to, and he starts fighting the regular predator and, uh, he actually fucking picks him up by his fucking predator dreads and he slams him into a car, smashing the car flat. Then he stands over him and he punches a hole right through the fucking original predator's face. Just smashes it so that fucking neon green blood goes everywhere. Punches a hole right through his face. I mean, he's just a devastating killing machine, a monster. Because again, we had trouble with the predator. But when super predator shows up, we don't have a fucking chance against this guy, right? Well, you would think so, correct? However, this predator who body slammed another predator, super predator who body slammed another predator through a car and then punched a hole through his face when he fights the humans, he uh, he kind of like comes up to him and he's like, eh, eh, and he shoves them down. <laughs> he, he gives them a mean look and he pushes them away. And uh, I mean, he should be ripping off their fucking skulls. He should be eating their fucking entrails. I mean, he shouldn't be fucking around at all. The whole point is, and again, they're shooting him, certainly. And some of them have predator technology, whatever the fuck. And, uh, and he's, he's got a whole plan in place that he's trying to execute and they're all there trying to keep him from doing it. And then at one point, again, it's the, 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 all right. I just, I have to tell you this, there's a spaceship and, uh, it, it, it starts to take off three guys jump onto the top of the spaceship. And I'm like, if they say, if this guy goes into space with these dudes on the ship, fuck you. But it turns out they find a clever way to kind of get them off of the ship. But this ship takes off, all right? Because it's Olivia Munn and the human, the three dudes, and then the ship takes off. The three dudes jump on it, and Olivia Munn is just like, bye. And uh, and then the ship flies, and there's a shield and some fighting, and it's crashing, and it's, it goes through all these fucking trees. And then uh, it totally goes, and it smashes, smash. And then the super predator gets out, and he looks at the, the hero of the movie who looks like a knockoff Brad Pitt, and he's just like, ha-ha, let's, let's dance. And they're about to have a fight, and then, uh, and again, he's another time where he pushes that guy down. Uh, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't super predator him. He pushes him to the ground. And then, uh, guess who shows up? Well, of course it's invisible Olivia Munn who was hiding behind a rock and she jumps on the predator's head. Uh, they just left you like 30 miles away. Like they jumped into a spaceship and flew off over the over the jungle, over the trees and everything else, and then crashed into this indeterminate location. There's no way. There's no, there's no way that she's there. there it just it it's 
I, and again, I hate to be the guy who goes, that would never happen, but you've got to give me something to cling to. There has to be some baseline of reality, even in a space monster with space dogs movie. There has to be something I can hold dear to. And one of them is that Olivia Munn cannot run faster than a spaceship and does not have a GPS in her brain to know where you're going to crash. I just have to, I have to embrace, you know what? Look, I'm going to say that's a baseline fact for every movie. If you see Schindler's List and you watch it and you're weeping, in your brain you have to at least think, well, you know, the good thing is I know Olivia Munn is not going to run faster than a spaceship and she doesn't have a GPS built in her brain to find out where it's going to crash. Even with Schindler's List, you can think that. It's the one fact you can count on, you should be able to count on in all movies you've ever seen. Jaws, giant shark eating people. Well, at least Olivia Munn can't swim faster than the shark and has a GPS to know where it's going to attack the boat. You have to possibly think that in your brain. Every movie you've ever seen, you have to be able to say, Olivia Munn can't do this and doesn't have a GPS so she can't show up here. But now that's all out the fucking window, man. Shane Black took that and threw it off a fucking cliff on top of a spaceship, and then it crashed into a mountain. Uh, so now Olivia Munn is super speed, and she knows exactly where every fucking thing is in the world. Also, Olivia Munn, research scientist who wrote a letter when she was six years old, somehow knows how to handle every automatic weapon you hand her. Here, take this AR-15. Here, take these handguns. Hey, take this machine gun. Hey, take this rocket launcher. Okay. All right, no problem. Did she learn those on Attack of the Show? I have no clue. Did that? I didn't see a segment. Was there a learn and know your weapons with the hot chick segment on Attack of the Show? But it exists in this. I mean, and sure enough, they go up handing her stuff, and they're like, all right, you do this and shoot this and do that. Then at the end of the movie, again, dude, they're fighting in a prison camp. They, they escape to a biker bar. They're hiding in a hotel room. They're in a fucking Winnebago. For like five days, they're fighting predators and predator dogs. And then they're fighting the government because the government are the bad guys slash good guys. So they're trying to keep them off their ass. They're in fucking mud and rolling through the woods. They're in a jungle chasing the predator. Then the predator's chasing them. It's like a Scooby-Doo where they keep opening doors and there's a predator and then it's them. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, it's like, whoo, well, whatever the fuck happens, happens. I'm not going to give it away. But I can tell you this, uh, Olivia Munn, her hair looks perfect. I, I don't I don't know what kind of fucking conditioner she's using. I don't know what kind of hold she has. But I can tell you this, she can fight several predators in the jungle and everywhere else in the world. She can run 30 miles an hour faster than a fucking spaceship and get to wherever you want her to be before you show up. And at the end of it, her white shirt isn't dirty and her hair looks great. And, uh, and I'm, that's all I'm going to say about the predator, but I enjoyed it because I was with my friends and it was silly and foolish. Uh, well, you know, and again, I didn't pay fucking poor Ken. And also he's got to be even more mad at fucking Stacy because he bought her a ticket for that abomination and she didn't even fucking show up. So the movie ends with, I, and I, I want, I want to tell you so bad how it ends because they tried to set up a sequel. Uh, and also I was, remember I was alluding to the fact that the whole predator thing doesn't make sense. Uh, if you look at it on its, on its face. I mean, it's, again, it's, it, the, the whole thing about global warming and them wanting our planet, I get all that, but it just, again, it's just space monsters who want to come and fight us. That's, that's what it all boils down to in all these movies. Like I said, the Terminator, the robots want to take over. Why? The fuck are you going to do afterwards? Have a robot lemonade and, go, and talk about the good old days, you fucks? Uh, same thing with the Predators. You can take over our planet and then what? Build Predator fucking movie theaters and watch movies about your triumphs? I don't fucking get it, man. So the movie ends. And, uh, and I look at John and John and John is an eternal optimist. So John is like, Oh, that was fun. And I'm like, yeah, it was pretty awful. And he's like, well, yeah, but still I had fun. I, well, I, I did too, but still that was, uh, that was not good. And I stand up and I turn around and two rows behind us up in, in the waiter territory. Uh, there's the lovely and talented Ken Fairhall. 
he's just reclined and sitting and he just, he literally looks up at me and he waves at me like the underage chick who got banged in animal house. Like she's drunk, kind of squints her eyes and like, hi friend. And I go, you're here. He goes, yeah. I go, where did you go? I saw you bail, but I didn't see you come back. And he goes, I can't sit in those seats. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I can't, I can't sit in those seats. The, I said, the rumble seat? He goes, yeah, it's just fucking, it was shaky. It's like fucking pinching my balls. It's throwing me off. It's like, I can't, it's too hard. I can't lean back in it. He goes, I don't, I don't want to sit in a fucking prison. I, I can't watch a movie and relax. And I went, yeah, but it's a rumble seat. It's the whole point. He goes, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, man. I mean, I, I fully threw myself into the rumble seat concept. I was excited about it, but he, uh, he was absolutely not interested. And that was fine. I totally got it. Um, but it was an experience going to a movie theater like that, man. I mean, I, I haven't, like I said, I don't, I don't go to regular movie theaters anymore. Uh, but on the road, you got, you know, and even, cause even that was a fancy theater. Like I said, it had food and fucking rumble seats and shit, but you still had to sit through, you were still a prisoner of 45 minutes of garbage on the screen, uh, which, which was terrible. But I mean, I, but I'm going to go, I mean, fucking October is going to be amazing for movies, dudes. Fucking, uh, what, 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 Halloween, the fucking new Halloween and Venom. Dude, I didn't even realize that Venom was coming out. I thought it was a summer movie, but Venom is coming out next month. Jesus Christ. Uh, so I'll go see that. And I, and, and I know you're like, well, Mike, why would you see Venom? Uh, or maybe you wouldn't. You'd be a grown up and you'd be like, well, Mike likes what he likes. I, but I got to see Venom. I saw Spider-Man. I got to see Venom. You got to see Venom. Venom is fucking awesome. Yeah, but I'll tell you this. In the trailer, I saw the last you know, Venom trailer like two trailers ago. Because I, I told you I don't watch them. But I saw a Venom trailer. I watch one and then I'm done. And I watched the Venom trailer and, uh, and he calls a guy a turd. And I was like, man, I got to be honest. This is a hard R movie. If he calls the guy a turd in the movie, I think they did it just for the trailer. I'm hoping, I'm praying. Because uh, they sometimes make you know changes in the trailer. Like they did that with Avengers. They fucked you up because they showed like a big battle and there are heroes fighting in the battle that aren't really in the battle because they didn't want you knowing anything from the trailer. And I like that. Give me, bamboozle me in a trailer. Give me the fucking shell game and that's cool. But, uh, but the fact that Venom called the guy a turd, it literally, like, I was like, all right, I'm on board. There's Tom Hardy. He's sweating. It's Tom Hardy, by the way. Come on. We all know Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's like him and Brad Pitt. I would, they're, they're, you know, they're, if they're on the inside of a fence, I'm jumping it. Like, and I'm not even, I don't even need my hands. I jump it like a fucking, like a steeplechase runner to get to those two. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm selling out for them. Uh, cause Tom Hardy, like I said, relax and let Tom Hardy drive. I would do that. Uh, but Tom Hardy's fucking fantastic. And he's got that, he's trying that New York accent. Good for him. He's trying. And uh, Venom's a symbiote or symbiote. I don't know how they're pronouncing it in the film. And it's a monster. And I look, I read the comics. I was there when Venom was, I wasn't there when Venom was uh, conceived. But when he showed up in Secret Wars, because that's where Batman or Spider-Man finds him. He finds him the, the black costume in Secret Wars. And then it turns out it's a symbiote to take, take him over. And then it becomes Venom. And then Carnage shows up. And oh, it's amazing. So I'm, I'm excited to see Venom. But it's funny how they, they do that with a trailer where they bamboozle you. They throw you a curveball. Because, uh... All right, well, let's talk about this. Fucking dudes. Did you see Did you see the video clip of the Joker movie? Uh, you know me. I mean, fuck, the, look, the fan club page is called Westside 86 Jokers. You know how much I loved Dark Knight. You know I went there, uh, and, and you know how much I love Batman, but I love the Joker more than I love Batman. If you wanted me to have a character, like literally my favorite car- comic book characters uh, are Spider-Man and Joker. Uh, and, and Mysterio, as I've talked about, but Joker is just, he's so interesting and so amazing and so incredible and so vicious and so ruthless and so brutal. As I've told you before, like when I wanted to see Batman and the Joker on the screen, like in 1988, when I went to or 89 or whatever it was, when that movie came out, I lived in Tahoe and I went to, I saw Pumpkinhead six times just so I could watch the Batman trailer before it and after it. 
I would watch the Batman trailer beforehand, watch Pumpkinhead, and then stay in my in the theater to watch the Batman trailer before the next showing of Pumpkinhead, and we'd split. Because I wanted to see Batman and the Joker on the big screen. I wanted to see them moving. I loved it. I loved it so much. And now as I've gotten older, you know, I've talked about I have cape fatigue. I don't need to see so many heroes and stuff like that. And, you know, like I didn't need to see Thor Dark World, but Thor Ragnarok is fucking incredible. It it might be the best superhero movie of all time. Avengers 4, you know, Infinity War, all all of these things. These are great movies because the way they're done, they're, they're showing respect for them and doing them the right way. But with DC, it's completely different. I thought Batman and Superman, I did a whole fucking show on how how unbelievably bad it was. That fucking Martha thing, dude. The fact that his mom and his mom, and then why would you say that name? Why would you say that name? And just, it was just, it's, it's, as I get older, like I said, I can see the Terminator ethos, the Terminator myth and see through it. I can see through the Predator myth. It doesn't make any sense to me. And superhero shit doesn't make sense to me. Now I watch the movies and I can get into them, but also my brain, because I'm a critical thinking person, I can actually look at it and go, Hey, uh, who's cleaning up all this shit? Like, because there used to be, there was a comic book called Damage Incorporated, and it was all these guys who went out and they cleaned up cities after the fucking heroes destroyed them. Like, when I saw Superman, Man of Steel, and General Zod comes to Earth, and then, like I said, Superman kills General Zod, spoiler alert, uh, and, and you're watching, you're like, Superman doesn't kill dudes. In Batman versus Superman, Batman's shooting bullets and killing dudes. You're like, this isn't how they fucking handle it. And also, Batman is, is more, look, he's very physical. There's no doubt he's a fucking fighter, but he's also a detective. He figures shit out. And we don't get to see that side of him in basically any movie. Like the closest we got is in Dark Knight when he, you know, coordinates all of the cell phones and shit in fucking Gotham City and he becomes his own personal uh, TSA (laughs) and he fucking uh, eavesdrops on everybody to find out where the Joker is. Um, I'd love to see like a Batman movie that was a little slower paced where he actually had to solve crimes and learn stuff, not just fucking punch a guy and hit him with a batarang, you know, and. And that was why the Joker was such a fucking tremendous foil for him because he would, the Joker flew directly into the face of all logic. So Batman could try to figure out everything. You know, remember I just told you that Olivia Munn, in any movie you go into, Olivia Munn can't run 30 miles an hour and beat your spaceship and then also doesn't have a GPS in her head. That's that's how Batman feels. He's got that that rule that he applies to any and all crimes. You can solve things, you can figure things out, except the Joker. Because the Joker is never going to make it known what he's going to do in any real way. He'll tell you. He's not like the Riddler. The Riddler wants you to solve shit, so he'll give you clues all along the way. The Joker's just a fucking nut. And and so, I, I, you don't need a standalone Joker movie. You really don't. But I, So I was kind of like, eh. I know Scorsese's in it. If Scorsese was directing it, I would have been like, all right, I'm completely on board with this. But then when they said fucking Todd Phillips was doing it, I wasn't sure if I was interested. Uh, you know, because again, I'm so down on DC. Wonder Woman was good. I got no interest in fucking Aquaman. I don't. I don't give a fuck about Flash. I don't care about Cyborg. And even now, they've they've dumped Henry Cavill. So they're getting a new Superman. They're dumping Affleck. They're getting a new Batman. So they're rebooting everything without ever having been good. But they've consistently had a Joker presence, you know. And and the worst thing that happened was when Ledger died, you know, because he was he was so fucking good at it. But I will tell you this: Heath Ledger was such a tremendous actor. Uh, I don't I don't know if he ever would have done another Joker movie. You know, he was, he didn't seem like the kind of guy you could go, we'll give you $50 million if you do this. Now look, $50 million is a lot of fucking money and it buys a lot of fucking Olsen twins and pills. But at the same time, he might've been like, ah, fuck this man. I want to move on to the next challenge. Uh, like fucking, what's his name? Nutbag Shia LaBeouf. That dude, he's just bananas. Like, I mean, I think you could offer him any amount of money to recreate another role that he had done once. And he'd just say no, because instead he wants to go film himself in a sleeping bag for six months in the Arctic. He's like that fucking banana head. Uh, so Heath is a guy who I think he might not have been able to say that he would do that. By the way, I call him Heath because we're good friends. And 
Uh, so then the way they said they're going to do a standalone Joker movie, like I said, Scorsese was involved, I was fine. But I also, I don't need a Joker origin story. I don't need to know where the Joker came from. Now, in the Killing Joke comic book, now, and, and dudes, I got to warn you, this is Joker heavy. And now that I'm thinking about it, I, I shouldn't have started talking about it. You thought, you thought I talked about the Bears a lot a couple weeks ago? Uh, in the Killing Joke comic book, they kind of give you a thin membrane of an origin for the Joker. And it, but it also, it might be him or it also could be, that was the best thing about the Joker is you never fucking know. It's, it's why in Dark Knight, you want to know how I got these scars? And it's always a different fucking story every single time. So you don't know who he is. You, you never get a read on him. Like in the movie, you never, you never get his name. The best part is when he's in the fucking jail cell and they just find like 30 knives on him and his clothes with no label, but they're custom made. He's got a custom fit clothes. Think about that. The Joker went to a tailor. And I'm sure he went in with his boys and they fucking roughed him up. And because here's, here's the best part about the fucking Joker. All right. This is why he's the best villain that you could possibly imagine. Thanos is amazing. He was, you, you empathized with him. And at the same time, you did not want him to, 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 to kill people. You didn't want bad things to happen to the heroes. You're rooting against Thanos, but you understand why Thanos is doing what he's doing. And he gives you the reason. He's like, hey, I'm going to do this because of this without, but the problem is he's, you know, he's also crazy because it doesn't realize, you know, hey, yeah, if half the people go away, then the other half might still fight over the resources. You're not getting rid of all the bad people. You're just getting rid of half the people. What if half the people that stuck are still bad people? What if you just left all the Nazis and they want to fucking kill them one another and stomping around? So that's, that's where his plan falls on its face. But at the same time, Thanos kills people by snapping his fingers. He just, he kills everybody. And he doesn't think about it. And if you think about it, you're like, boy, that's an extinction level event and it's mass murder and it's brutal. However, it's not as brutal as the Joker. Because yeah, Thanos killed people and Ultron wanted to kill people and all these these pixels that the rest of these fucking Avengers and everybody else fights, all these, you know, Doctor Strange fights the monsters and golden ropes and fucking whoever else comes from space. Yeah, all that shit, those guys want to kill everybody. Um, but the Joker wants to hurt people. And that's, that was why I fucking loved him. It's, it's like, you know, you you can have this incredible, this beautiful, this operatic death scene for everybody. And Thanos snaps his fingers and everybody, and it was moving as hell, but, uh, but it's not going to be as effective as the Joker with a fucking switchblade at a guy in an alleyway and laughing in his face as he does it and cuts his own heart out and shows it to him. And that's the difference. That's why the Joker is relatable. That's why the Joker is real. That's why I liked Spider-Man and the Joker because they were real. Batman's a fucking billionaire. You know, Batman's the fucking, he's basically the shadow. He's a billionaire with a cave and his parents died. You know all about his motivation. Yes, I know Uncle Ben died for Spider-Man, but he was still Spider-Man before Uncle Ben, but then he decided to take the responsibility. But also he's poor. He's got to get two fucking jobs. He's got his aunt. And, uh, and, and so he's a real person, you know, ostensibly. And you can kind of relate to that a lot more than you can a billionaire who wants to kill people in the middle of the fucking night. Uh, but, but that's who the Joker is. The Joker is just mayhem in a purple suit. And, and he will never tell you who he is. He never tells you what he's going to do. You know, like I said, in The Killing Joke, when he shows up at Barbara Gordon's house, he shoots her in the fucking hip. He, I mean, he could have killed her very easily. But instead, he shoots her in the hip and paralyzes her because it goes through her spinal cord. And then he does terrible things to her. He takes her clothes off. He takes photos. And I'm, I'm assuming he did other terrible, terrible things because he wanted to drive her father crazy. That was what his goal was. See, he doesn't want to kill everybody all the time. Sometimes he's, he does small crime. Sometimes, like in The Dark Knight, in the comic book, he goes to beyond basically what is the David Letterman show. And... Uh, and he, he gasses everybody and he kills like 500 people in the audience. 
because he's the Joker and he thinks it's funny. Uh, and he gets to escape. And, and you know, his his complete obsession is with Batman. You, you don't really know why. Um, and that's that's the best part. It's like you don't know. He's just nuts. He's like, he's he's as if Tyler Durden was, was a, a supervillain. You know, you just can't predict what he's going to do next. And he's, and he's psychotic. But like I said, you know, anybody can kill people. The Joker hurts people and he laughs about it and he thinks it's hilarious. And that's one of the reasons why I dug him so much, which it's, it's fantastic. I want, I understand Thanos. I understand these villains. I understand, you know, even Doc Ock and Mysterio, but it's all, it's a lot of pixels. You know, the Joker is flesh and bone. I I want criminals made of flesh and bone. Those are my favorite stories in comic books. You know, when, when I tell, I've talked about it many times before, Spider-Man had an arc where he fought this guy called the sin eater. And it was just a crazy guy with a shotgun and a mask. And cause that's real, man. And, the, and, and I, I really relate to that. I enjoy reading that stuff. I, I like stuff that, that hits home like the Punisher. I mean, I, I just, I fucking love the Punisher. No, I haven't seen it on Netflix. Yet. Don't ask. But I mean, the Punisher is just a fucking, he's just murder. He's just a guy made of murder. And it's fascinating. Like I, you know, I'd love to see a fucking setup where the Punisher has to go against the Joker. It, Cause I think the Joker would love it. You know what I mean? Cause basically the Punisher is just Batman who kills. That was what DC did was they based, or Marvel. They just stole Batman and made the Punisher out of him, basically. But they made him a psycho. And Batman, though, is a psycho. Batman, Batman's a cop when you get down to it. And uh, and then, then that new Joker. So again, I wasn't on board with it. I just didn't care. I wasn't. I wasn't excited when I when they announced it. And then Scorsese. I'm like, well, all right, you know, I can fucking see this. Uh, and then and then they said Joaquin Phoenix. And, and in my head, I just went, you know what? Fuck, I, I'm going to have to see this. I mean, I'm going to see it anyway, cause it's the fucking Joker. And I mean, literally Joker and Spider-Man, I, I have to, but, uh, but Joaquin Phoenix, how good is that guy? I mean, he's phenomenal in every movie he's in. He's so good. He can play malevolent. He can play scary. He can play funny and, uh, and he can lose himself completely in a character. And the, the problem is following Heath Ledger. There's no doubt. Look, there's no problem in following Jared Leto. I mean, we, we all know that that was a misfire. Although I did like the idea of like kind of a younger hip hop crime boss joker. Like he adapted to modern times and made himself that guy. He shouldn't have had a fucking tattoo on his forehead because that was fucked. But I, I didn't hate that movie. I told you I saw Suicide Squad on HBO. And if I'd have paid to see it, I'd have been like, fuck. But seeing it on HBO, I'm like, this isn't the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, Deadshot is Will Smith, and Will Smith is always Will Smith, so you can't get past that. And Margot Robbie is fucking hot. Um, and but then even in that movie, they wind up fighting magic. You know what I mean? They got to fight a fucking uh, a chick, uh, whatever the fuck, the enchantress, whoever the fuck. Um, but the scenes the Joker's in, like the scene in the club where he wheels on the hip hop dudes, and then the scene where he shows up and he makes the fucking prison guard confess. Uh, there, there was a Joker vibe there that I dug. Again, he doesn't need the fucking head tattoo. But I mean, I. I can find something. I mean, it's not Heath. It wasn't Heath Ledger at all, but it, it shouldn't have been, but it's a tough act to follow. So the, I think maybe a good thing for Joaquin Phoenix is following Leto instead of following Heath. Although Heath is still the overarching idea we have of what the Joker can be on screen, but Joaquin Phoenix, man, I'm, I'm on board. And, and, and so, you know, they announced that casting, they announced the movie and I, I keep, you know, there's all this snark online where everybody's, they're ripping it. So then last week, uh, I was in Toronto and I, I had seen a picture. He had released a picture of Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips on his Instagram. And it just said, Arthur. And it was Joaquin Phoenix as whomever the Joker is before he becomes the Joker. Now, if he's Arthur, I think that actually conforms to the killing joke membrane of a story where he winds up being a comedian 
then he gets mixed up with the mob and starts doing these 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 robberies and uh whatever you'd have to read the book i'm not going to give it away but he just puts up arthur and so everybody goes oh my gosh look at him and then of course everybody's got to weigh in and be like well he shouldn't look like that no he should look like this no what if he looked like this all this all this kind of stuff but then uh about four days later he puts out a video and it's called a color test it's a 30 second clip and i first saw it in the hotel room in toronto with ken who must have just been thrilled that I'm I'm going look at this Joker clip? <laughs> I mean he's a he's a guy like I mean he's a man you know grown up with kids and a house and all that shit and I'm like duh wee, but that's kind of the problem that I have also is the fact that you know the, these movies when when we were, when we were kids like when I you know when I was twenty and stuff or whatever and I read fucking comic books and I looked at that stuff uh, it was for me in that age group and it wasn't it didn't dominate the world. Now it just seems like it dominates the world so much. And then everybody, I'm getting ahead of myself. So the clip is, it's him standing there as Arthur. It's Joaquin Phoenix and it's a live action clip. And it uses a song by the Guess Who called Laughing. And and such a great choice of the music. And also he does a little trick at the end uh, because he plays the little first verse of the song. But he takes out the last line of the first verse and replaces it with a different line uh, from that repeats throughout the song. But it's not the 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 last line of the first verse. Uh, here's a lot of inside baseball about the guess who. Oh, oh man, that's when you know you got a, a quality podcast and a quality show when a guy's breaking down the guess who for you. Let me let me draw up an NCAA chart of all the guess who songs and their lyrics. Let's do that and bore ourselves to tears, and then I'm gonna suck on a fucking shotgun barrel. Uh, oh man, I just. I know, I know. It's a lot of t- a lot of talk about something that you might not care about. It's a lot of Joker talk. I get it, but it's 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 relevant to me. I uh, because I must explain it to you because I again that it's I'm obsessed. I've watched this clip a thousand times, a thousand fucking times. I watch it every day. I watch it. Sometimes I'll go to bed and I run on Instagram real quick and I go, hey, I should check that out before I go to sleep. And that's weird, probably, but it's just I I love it so much. And here's why I love it so much. So the clip is Joaquin Phoenix and he's there and he's Arthur. He's got his hands tucked in his pockets. He's just drab. He's got drab hair and drab clothing. And this song starts by by the Guess Who. And uh, the lyrics are, I should laugh, but I cry because your love has passed me by. You took me by surprise. And then uh, the last line he says, I didn't realize that you were laughing. But that's, again, like I said, that's not the real. I won't give you the line because why should I? You don't care. Um, but so the song plays and it's this little good. It's a real spare guitar track. And there's a there's a clip a clapboard you know like a whiteboard and it just says Arthur a color test, and then the song starts and it says you know I should laugh but I cry but the whole time Arthur's standing there and he's grim he's just making a grim normal straight face, and they're superimposing the Joker over him, in really fast snippets like in the beginning it's it's almost imperceptible what it is. But it's a 30 second clip. And as the as the 30 seconds goes by and the song goes by, the clips get to be a little bit longer and a little bit longer. The superimposition stays a little bit longer. So it's it's almost a millisecond at first. And then it stays for maybe half a second. Then it stays for a second. Then it stays for like three seconds. Then it then it closes out. And the, the, the superimposition of the Joker. And when I say the Joker, I mean, it's Arthur. It's Joaquin Phoenix in full Joker makeup and full Joker costume. And he's clearly on a stage or something, and it seems that he's performing. But Arthur is standing there still, grim, with his hands in his pockets as this is superimposed over him. And the camera is getting closer and closer. 
So the music is playing. The camera's getting closer and closer. Arthur's just standing there while they superimpose the Joker over him. But if you watch, because again, you're trying to see the snippets of the Joker, so that's where your eye is drawn. But if you watch it and you watch Arthur, as the camera's getting closer, he's changing. He's he's actually uh, changing in that he's starting to smile. As it gets closer and closer, the camera's getting in, it's pushing in on him. And and the way I perceive that, because hey, brace yourselves, have a seat. I, I took a mass media class once, all right? Here was my, here's the way I perceived it. Because uh, also, like I said, he's, he gets to be smiling because I, 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 I need to tell you the whole thing. Uh, as the camera's pushing in, it's getting closer on Arthur and he starts smiling. The more the Joker is superimposed upon him, the longer the clip is. He's smiling till by at the very end, uh, when you, the very end of Arthur in the clip, he has a huge, broad smile on his face with the Joker superimposed over him. And then the last line, like I said, from the guess who is, it says, you were laughing. And right when he says laughing, it switches and Arthur is gone and the Joker is there. And the Joker has a huge smile on his face. He's in full makeup and full Joker costume. So the Joker that had been superimposed on Arthur has now taken Arthur's place and he has a huge grin. Uh, but then he, he, he does this, this barely perceptible move where he lifts his eyebrow really quickly. It's just, it's just, I mean, it's just this, this little arching of the eyebrow and he, he exhales so deeply after adding just, and then he makes a really straight, mean face back at camera. And, and again, brace yourselves folks. Cause again, I took a class <laughs> one time, but my perception of it and what leads to my enjoyment of it, which leads to my, uh, because, you know, and isn't that the way it always should be? Shouldn't you just perceive art your way? You know, I, and I, I got to tell you, I'm starting to, uh, you know, I'm thinking about my apartment in a grown-up way. I have a lot of photos of my friends. I have photos of my godson and my and, and his sister up. And I have a photo of me with my friend Jeff from the UN of Evil at his wedding. I was his best man. And it's a great picture. It's a, a picture I love. If you want to see it, tell me. I'll put it on the Joker's page. Or I'll just I'll hold it up during a stream or something. But, uh... But I'm finding all these photographs and I want to find places to put them in my apartment because I want to surround myself with things from my my past and things that I love. But also I'm I want to get into art. I know that sounds dumb, but I, I I've been struck by images recently and I saw things like I uh, <laughs> I follow a woman named Charisma Carpenter on Instagram. If you know who that is, she's an actress. Uh, she's been in Buffy and a million other things. And uh, she is, I mean, like top. 1% beautiful women in the world. Her face is just, I mean, she has a perfect, unbelievably beautiful face. And she does a ton of interesting things. She goes to Comic-Con. She, she's always driving in Malibu and I just love it. Her music choices are whatever. I like following her. So she also puts up interesting artwork. She'll put up, uh, you know, artwork pictures and things like that. And she put up a, a picture the other day and it, I, it was, it was one of the first times I felt viscerally moved by a, by an image of artwork. And like I said, I've been, I've been looking to explore, like I said, I have movie posters to frame and that stuff's great, but I, I would like to maybe have a painting, you know, and, and, you know, obviously uh, you're like, well, call Max. Well, I I know, but I would have to pay Max. I got to commission him, of course. Um, but this image that I saw, it was a, uh, it was a, it was a tight image on a woman. It was basically a woman in, in repose. She was reclining, you know, uh, uh, leaning on her, on her side. Almost. You ever seen Venus on the, or no, the Venus is standing up. I think it's a woman, basically a woman laying down on her side. She's, so she's propped up on an arm and elbow, but you don't see any of that. You literally only see the woman from basically mid thigh up to navel and she's naked. 
and it's beautiful because the the female form is incredibly beautiful and especially that area but she is wearing a crown of thorns as a belt and and there's she's you know there's blood obviously coming out of her waist so her it's it's cinched in and the, her waist is bleeding but her you know her shape her her you know everything else is intact it's beautiful like i said from about her navel a little over her navel to right about mid thigh now i want to know what that piece of artwork is i tried to google it you know crown of thorns waist belt woman blood weeping whatever i i tried to do all of that so here's what i did because i'm this guy i actually wrote charisma carpenter a note which you know, they're celebrities. Nobody's reading their fucking mail. Certainly not from some nobody who writes them a goddamn note on Instagram. But I wrote her a note and I said, listen, uh, you know, I, I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds. I'm just wondering what that image was, what the actual, what that image was taken from, like what piece of artwork. Uh, here's the thing. I haven't heard back from Charisma Carpenter just yet. I'm sure she's she's just waiting for the moment to spring it upon me. I'm sure in the middle of the nighttime, I'm just gonna be like, Mike, oh my God, I finally heard from you. Um I, you shouldn't even have to write me. If she just put it in her fucking Instagram feed, that would be fine with me too. I would love that. But it's just, but it struck me. And I was like, that's, boy, that's fascinating. And it moved me. And it's something that I would like to see the larger image of to see what it is. And I, I so I started to look at, you know, painting and I started to realize I liked, I was liking expressionist painting because I, I don't know. Again, I don't know a fuck all about what these things are or what anything is paintings. I don't know who they are. I, you know, it's that thing. It's like, it may, I may not know art, but I know what I like. Uh, but I started to do some Googling and I looked, you know, I was talking to my mom because my mom loves art. She loves Maxfield Parrish and all these other people. And she's like, you should like him. So I started to look at him and I didn't, it didn't jump at me. You know, it's not, I don't, I don't want people. Although then, you know, the thing charisma put up, I'm obviously, I'm like, well, that was pretty fascinating, but I like shapes. I like, I like, uh, like I said, I like expressionist stuff. And I, f- I found a, a <laughs> I found a, an artist named Anselm Kiefer and he's, uh, he's from Germany. Um, obviously with that fucking name. And, uh, he, he, he works with scrap metal and all these, whatever the fuck. It's just, it's so weird to all of a sudden have this interest. And I I didn't see it coming. I didn't, I didn't know what it was, but I've started to become fascinated with, and you know what I think really, you know, I haven't had TV since July. So I'm wondering if that's leading me to crave imagery from other sources, uh, and, and other interesting sources and other interesting imagery. You know what I mean? Like I, I told you, I have photographs of people and I have movie posters of things that I love, but, uh, but to see things that have been created by, by people, you know, like I, I, in one of the things I've unearthed, I found a painting Max made for me of Michael Madsen as Mr. Blonde. And it's, it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's just a small it's just beautiful. I mean, I, I love it because it's not a painting where he sat down and it looks exactly like him. It It's one of those paintings that it looks almost tossed off and a little bit unfinished, but it's also brilliant in its focus. Uh, and I like, cause you know exactly who it is and it's just, but it's not, I, I don't know how to explain it. If you sat down and did an actual painting, you would fill in his hair and his eyes and all these different things. But the, the, what Max did is just, it's just beautiful. And also there's a painting he did of me. And I showed this on a live stream once where it's basically a big little Schmitty suit, but I'm taking the head off and it's, it's me in the suit. And I love both of those. So I've got those, they're framed and I have them here. Uh, so I'm wondering if maybe I'm craving imagery because I'm not getting it from other sources and things like that. I don't, I don't know. Uh, again, I took a class on that folks. I took a lot of classes on a lot of things. <laughs> this is a lot of fucking nonsense. Um, this would be one of those things where it would be a discussion to have with somebody else and talk about their love of art. Maybe they could steer me in a different way. Whatever the fuck. I, I found myself liking expressionism. I found myself liking uh, – I found another artist named Kit King. I found her. And she does basically paintings that look like their photographs. 
paintings of people's faces that look as if it was a photograph and, and but made giant. But for some reason, she can paint, re, I forget what it's called, realistic something. And it's just phenomenal. But also, she does these pictures that are just, it's called drop art. So she'll paint, it'll just be like paint streaks, but then underneath are these little black shadows underneath that look like drop shadows to the actual streaks, but it's all part of the same painting. Like she painted all of it. It's not, there's no shadow. She painted the shadow part underneath the streaks. And I, I just find that fascinating. And again, because I'm eternally fascinated by things that I can't do. And if I, and, and, and so I want to, I want to dive into whatever you can create and whatever you can make happen. Music, art, those are things I'm incapable of. I can talk. And I can be funny and I can write, you know, that's fine. But when, but when I see somebody actually creating with paint or art or even, you know, scrap metal, any of those things, my mom, my mom told me she likes brutalist art. And there was some statue of a fish she told me to look at. And I looked at it and I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. And, and so I started to do some research on brutalism and it's a, it's a style of architecture, but also it's a style of sculpture. And, uh, it's, it's just weird to be awakened to these sorts of things. Cause this isn't something I've ever really thought of before. But it's been triggered by the fact that I want my house to look nice. I want my apartment to be cool. I want it to have stuff in there that that I enjoy, stuff that reflects my interests and and grown up stuff. I won't lie. You know, I, I can I can you know I've got a poster of the Hateful Eight that I can frame. I've got a poster that you guys bought me a million fucking years ago of Kill Bill. It was an abstract Kill Bill painting. I cannot wait to fucking frame that. Finally, it's literally been sitting in a cardboard tube since 2012. Uh, so six years later, I'm going to finally frame the thing and put it up. And I, I'm excited to do those, to do those things. And Randy, you know, when I was seeing Randy, she gave me a, a Foo Fighters tour poster. that was like a one of like 30 and a cheap trick poster that signed with their, from the hall of fame. So, I mean, I have those things. Those are nice, but those are also, those are youthful items to put on your wall. That's, I, I don't want to say frat, but I mean, you know, I told you when I lived in fucking Tahoe, our whole fucking, our, our, all of it, kitchen, Living room, everything. Well, the kitchen was covered with fucking centerfolds. So that's a totally different story. Hustler centerfolds and Playboy centerfolds. But in the, the rest of the house was all movie posters. I mean, you couldn't see a spare inch of brick because we had those white bricks in our house. Uh, we had movie posters all over the whole thing because we stole them from the movie theater every week. Hi, I was a good guy back then. But uh, but it almost strikes me as, you know, like I said, I have these photographs, which are great because that, that reminds me of my life. But also these movie posters, which I'm going to put up because I love them. But also they just strike me as being uh, of youth. And, and this whole rebirth thing is about growing up a little bit. And, and so I, you know, I, you know, I'm going to get a plant. I know that sounds ridiculous. I want to get a plant and I want to, I want to put it in the sun and I want to water it and I want to take care of it. And I know I'm sound like that little kid who fucking wouldn't let Snoopy go. Mom, mom, can I keep a mom, mom, that little girl. But, uh, they're just weird instincts that I've never had before. And, and I'm sure you didn't need to hear them about it on this fucking show, whatever the fuck. So here's the thing. I took a fucking class. God damn it. Let's talk about that. So in this clip, like I said, it's 30 seconds and it pushes in closer and Arthur's got a, a, a normal face, a normal face. But by the end, he's smiling a very big, broad grin. And then on the, he instantly turns into the Joker on the, on the word laughing, which of course makes sense. Um, but the way I interpreted it was in the beginning, he's, he's Arthur, he's dreary, he's drab, he's nobody and he knows it and he can feel it. Uh, but within that 30 seconds, he emerges uh, a little at a time. Like I said, a millisecond and then a second and then three seconds. And the camera moving in is a metaphor for getting him getting closer to who he really is, who he is inside. Because you can see he's dressed in the drabbest colors. He's just beige. He's just he's just a nobody. 
but as it's getting closer, the and 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 the Joker is is all makeup and and kind of a muted. The suit is almost yeah, I would say it's rust colored. I mean, it's not even purple. They didn't go for the purple, but uh, but by the time the 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 switch happens and he's the Joker, he's got the green hair and he's got a huge grin and he's wearing the Joker's clothes, and uh, and I think as the camera is getting closer, it it's because Arthur is getting closer to being exactly who he is. Arthur, it's a metaphor for in the movie when he's probably going to be, he's this nobody who then becomes a somebody by becoming the Joker. And it's, it's, he finds the true nature of who he is inside and, and it's a psychopath and he unleashes it on everybody because when that, when that final shot hits and he's got the huge smile as the Joker, he, again, the eyebrow goes up almost, almost arching in a way of finally, you know what I mean? Just this thing like, you know, yeah. And then he exhales to go, I'm who, this is it. This is me. This is who I am. And I finally got here, whether it took 30 seconds or it's going to take three hours in the movie or however the fuck long it takes his whole goddamn life throughout the movie. Uh, he becomes the Joker at the end and he just, he makes this huge grin and then he just goes, (sighs) he exhales and then he just, and then he makes this dead eye fucking stare at the camera. And, and in my mind, that's just, all right, let's get to work. I've now found who I am. Now it's time to fulfill my destiny. Now I've, it's time I found my true calling. And, and looking at it in that scope, looking at it that way, I, I, and I see it every time and I see something new every time I watch the clip, whether it's the vest, the color of the vest or the, the, you know, his teeth are a little off. I, it's just, I just love it so much and I can't stop watching it. And I, and now I want to see this fucking movie tomorrow. Cause like I said, I didn't give a fuck. I don't care about a Joker origin story. I don't want to know the mystery. I don't want to know any of the stuff behind it, but, but seeing him unveiled, I, I, you know, and, and certainly putting my spin on it and my interpretation, it made me really, really want to see the movie. And I will also tell you this, there's uh you know, so, so they put up the clip and online, everybody is savaging it. I mean, they they just, this sucks. This fucking sucks. Heath's better. Heath Ledger. You'll never top Heath Ledger. Why the fuck are they doing this? Such a mistake. And I read these things and I shouldn't read them. I know I sh- it's poison. I've talked about it. Social media. Don't dive into it. It's poison. But, but what really bothered me in reading it is, is, uh, it's 30 seconds. It's 30 seconds of, of a project that won't even be out for, for a year. And you've already dismissed it out of hand. It sucks. It's terrible. It's so bad. It won't be as good as this. Hey, man, when Heath Ledger got the job, people fucking hated that choice. People can pretend they didn't, but people were like, what the fuck is this? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Like people were upset and mad and they weren't happy about it. But everybody has to fucking tear it apart. They all come swooping in and they've all got their opinion. And again, it's on 30 fucking seconds. Now, granted, I love the thing in 30 seconds. So maybe I'm guilty of the same thing. But don't you remember liking stuff? Can you remember a time that you were excited for things and you didn't immediately give it the jaundiced eye and, and, and look at it and go, well, that's not going to be good. Or, and it's this, it's this thing we're conditioned to do now where we, we want to blunt any bad feelings or, or we want to avoid getting sucked into liking stuff because if it turns out to be bad, we can fucking go, well, I knew it was going to suck. I knew it was going to be bad. And that's just awful. I don't, I don't enjoy that. I don't like that feeling. That's why I went to see Predator. Fuck. I, in my mind, I thought it was going to be bad. I was like, eh, but I wanted to go see it with my friends. And like I said, man, if you can, if you can have that movie with three of your friends and a pizza at one in the morning and you're laughing and high five and it's fucking great because it is, it's not good, 
but it's great to laugh at and high five with your friends and go, why the fuck is Bash McClintrock fighting the Predator with, with fists when the Predator ripped out the other Predator's fucking neck? This makes no goddamn sense. Why is Olivia Munn, who, you know, who again, is now the baseline for reality at all movies? If, if you know, Olivia Munn should not be able to outrace the Nazis, and she certainly doesn't have a GPS in her head to tell you where the fucking prison camp is, all right? That's, that's your arbitrary measurement for every single film from now on. But if you're with your friends and you're laughing your balls off at it, you know, I'll tell you what, one of the best times I ever had at the movies as a kid was I went to see Friday the 13th part fucking whatever. I think three, but that was 3D, so it couldn't have been Friday the 13th part three. But it might have been two or possibly four. Could have been nine or 40 fucking seven. I, I don't know. But I'm with a bunch of guys from high school. A bunch of people from high school. Lori Tepper, Jim O'Donnell. We all fucking, I mean, everybody went. Laporta, all of us went. There's like 15 people. Max might have even been there. I don't know if he was. And we we laughed our ass off at that movie. We were high fiving. We were just like you know the there was a dog. It was one of these movies where like you know one of the one of the kids had a dog, and you're waiting the whole movie for the dog to finally go after fucking Jason. And in, in the theater, when the fucking dog, we're like the dog, and the dog goes after Jason. We went crazy. We were so fucking happy because you're rooting for him to be the fucking the, the the hero, the savior. But it's one of those movies where you can have this kind of communal experience where you're cheering and going crazy and having fun. You know, when I saw Dark Knight at the ArcLight, I told this story. When when he comes, when he takes the mask off in the bank, the people cheered. When he fucking left the room after talking to the mobsters where he had the the coat full of grenades and he's like, ah, ta, 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 and he kicks the door open and he walks out, fucking people stood up and went crazy because you were finally excited. You were like, oh my God, there's the fucking Joker. That's the Joker. That's him. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so fucking excited. You want to run around and do a somersault and high five your friends because the thing you've been waiting for is finally there. But also that same attitude can infect us and it can make us bad because when I was a kid, you know, the Joker, Batman, all those things, they were for kids. But now all of these people have grown up and they're all hyper aware and they're, they they know of the Joker and Batman. They become these mainstream, you know, Batman is now, uh, he's, he's Magnum PI for fuck's sake. I mean, for, for all the people who know about him, for the popularity he has, he, and, and the Joker, all, all of these characters, you know, the adults, dude, think about this. All right. I'm, I'm 51 years old. And I just sat here and jerked off about the Joker for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever the fuck. I didn't want to look at the clock. So that's that's ridiculous, right? It seems silly on its face. Here's why it really, because now, but I will, it's accepted now. Because nerd culture, geek culture, comic culture, whatever the fuck, that, that runs the show. Doctor Strange, the Thor, fucking all these dudes, Ant-Man, fucking, uh, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, all these guys, Batman, Superman, that's our new normal for movies. Those are the blockbusters to have. But again, I'm 51. This is stuff I loved when I was 15 years old. So think about it from your parents' angle. Although a lot of you are younger than me. But like when I was a kid, man, what if, how weird would it fucking be if I was, you know, fucking eight and, or, or 12 or whatever the fuck and my dad was 50 and, and you got to figure that's what. So my dad would have been 50 because he died when he was 37 and 83. So give him 13 more years from 96. So if he liked something from the time he was 15, so he's 50 and 96, <laughs> I'm doing the math here, so 35, so 96 to 66, and then so we'll go to 61, something from 1961. Like, what if my dad loved The Saint? And it like, you know, like, like some fucking radio show or something, and but didn't just love it. I mean, he collected shit and he wanted to go see it and he wanted to watch movies and he wanted and he talked about The Saint all the time. How weird would that fucking be, man? You know, that's what I'm saying. As adults, when I was a kid, adults grew up. They grew up and they started drinking gimlets and they wore fucking slacks 
and they had key parties and they didn't fucking watch Batman. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a goof. It was a joke. Uh, you know, the things that were ch- for childhood were left behind in childhood. And then you had to drive a bus and raise your kids. You had to open the bakery every morning at five in the morning. You had to get some pomade and slick your fucking hair back and have a cigar and drink a fucking 12 pack of beer when you got home and fall asleep in your chair reading the newspaper. Well, now we've all been given the luxury of still enjoying all of the things we had from childhood because as we've gotten older, they've aged with us, but they just keep rebooting them and making them different for younger generations. And also that gives older people the reason to bitch about how it was so much better back in their day. And we're just in this fucking centrifuge, this hamster wheel of Batman and Spider-Man just constantly being fucking created and, and spit out for other generations to enjoy and other generations to bitch about because they're not as good as their Batman or their Spider-Man. You think my dad was like, fuck, I can't believe the saint. Why are they remaking the saint? Like what if they kept remaking the fucking saint? Why is he the Avengers with them appeal, which they want to make it a movie about and it fucking died. But think of that. If you if your parents did something from the sixties and they just, and they still loved it when they were 50, like my mom loved Elvis and he wound up dying. I'm sure she'd still love Elvis now, but he doesn't count. But if my mom still loved Elvis movies and Elvis was still making movies like fucking blue Hawaii when he was 85 years old, I mean, that would be fucking pathetic. So if people look at us, they got to think it's fucking weird. They got to think it's weird for people my age to like Batman and the Joker. And, and like I said, I just fucking, I, I just, waxed rhapsodic about it for however fucking long, but it's, it's because it, you know, we, we we have the luxury of, of still being in touch with our childhoods because the internet has allowed nothing to die. It never goes away. And as long as auteurs like Martin Scorsese want to get involved, as long as people like, I, I can't pronounce his name, but the guy who made Ragnarok, as long as these sorts of projects interest them, then, then we'll always have them and they'll always be good for us and we'll be happy tomorrow. I, I, I think the X-Men, you know, dark Phoenix trailer is supposed to premiere. I've read nothing but bad things about it. Like I, it's funny how I can take or leave the X-Men. I don't give a flying fuck Wolverine. I like, but everybody else, I don't know who gives a shit. Like, you know, I can't imagine like it's, I'm sat here just now, literally, and, and just gave the Joker a hand job for an hour. I can't imagine talking to you about Gambit for five seconds. I can't. Because you love what you love and it sticks with you. So I had to hear people bitching and they're moaning and they're yelling and they're fucking angry about the Joker and they're mad about the clip. And they, you know, I even talked to Mex about it. He doesn't like the makeup. He's like, nah, man, they had the chance to do something really different here. And he said when he saw Heath Ledger the first time, it blew him up. You know, he was thinking to himself, holy fuck, you know, this is this is a guy that's dangerous and different. And I, I can totally see that. I can absolutely see that. But But my take on the makeup on Joaquin Phoenix is... Arthur is so drab. Arthur is nothing. Arthur is is a f- an afterthought. He's the guy you bump into on the street. You might not even say, excuse me. You don't notice him. So, of course, he's going to choose the most garish clown makeup he possibly can. I mean, he's he hasn't gone straight psycho yet because this is the beginning of the Joker. He's not He's maybe not as malevolent right from the jump. He's just learning how to express himself. And when he's learning how to express himself... He's going to pick the most colorful avenue that he possibly can. So, of course, he's going to make his face up to be like a completely garish clown. But also, he's going to put too heavy on the mouth and too heavy on the lips. And then because he's he's not really in control of himself and he doesn't know what he's doing. He's it's like that line in, in Signs of the Lambs when uh, Lecter is trying to convince Clarice. He goes, it's almost, uh, you know. The, the elaborate, he, he lies. And, and then when she solves it later, she goes, the elaborate lies 
of a fledgling killer. You know what I mean? Like the, uh, and, and she puts it all together. So that's the elaborate makeup of, of a fledgling psychopath. That's how I look at Arthur putting on the Joker makeup. And cause it's still normal. It's still within the realm of being a clown or whatever he envisioned himself as, but also he's got enough psychopath in him to where he can't do it right. And maybe, maybe he's so excited to come out of his shell and become that character. He can't put it on right. His hands shake. Maybe he can't make himself look completely aligned and, and he, you know, you children color outside of the lines and Arthur by becoming the Joker uh, and making that decision to basically leave polite society will always from that moment on color outside of the lines. And that's, and that's exactly reflected in his face makeup. And, and I can't stop watching the clip. I'm so excited. I wish, I wish October of 2019 was here already. Uh, I'm excited. I, cause I, here's what I hope for. I hope it's a ninth cause it's set in the eighties. I hope it's a, 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 like a 1980s fucking crime drama. I hope, I hope it's violent. I hope it's a hard R cause like I said, I don't want venom calling people turds. You know, venom calls a guy a turd. You're just like, see, now this is a concession for audiences. This is a way to make an, a few extra dollars to avoid a certain rating or to avoid that. I, I have to hope for the trailer. The turd was thrown in there and he calls him a fucking piece of shit or whatever the fuck he does. Cause that's real. It's just real. It's tin eared to hear them avoid obscenity in a way to try to make more money. It frustrates you and, and it frustrates me any, any project mobster project, any real project, you know, I, I, and so I'm re- I'm hoping for, you know what? I hope they make, I I've often said that dark Knight was the departed, but Batman shows up. That's how, that's how I saw it. And, uh, and with Scorsese's involvement here in the Joker movie, I, it can't be more, more alike with my, with my analogy. I, I want them to make mean streets, but I want the Joker in it. I, I want them to make mean streets. And the Joker is, is De Niro care. I think it's Johnny boy is, is who it is, but that that's what I want. I want the Joker to be fucking Johnny boy in, in mean streets. And, uh, and I will, I will pay you every fucking dime I have. If you stay true to him being a psychopath, you stay true to him being a murderer and, and you don't, and not just you stay true to him being a murderer, you stay true to him being a guy who hurts people, not a mythical figure, not some, not, not a fucking super villain, uh, but, but a fledgling killer learning who he is and deciding how much he likes hurting people. That'd be fucking fantastic. And I know you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe he's winding down on his Joker talk. Well, maybe I am. Maybe I've got another hour for you. Who knows? Stick around. <laughs> the important thing, though, is I got to talk about the Joker to you. So not only do you know how I felt about that 30-second clip, but uh, but the most important thing of all, now Mex has to paint me in the in the Joker, the new Joker makeup, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> so look for that on fucking Facebook this week. You guys can get me on Mike at Mike Schmidt Comedy on. You guys can get me at. Fuck, why am I getting you on somewhere? I blew that. that I do that every fucking week for 11 years. <laughs> uh, you guys can get me at Mike at Mike Schmidt Comedy.com. You guys can be my friend at Facebook.com slash the 40-year-old boy. You can follow me at Twitter.com slash the 40-year-old boy. And also, get this, I'm on, I'm on Snapchat. Did you know that? I'm on Snapchat and Instagram at Mike40YOB. That's Snapchat and Instagram. At Mike four zero Y L B. Well, you talk about your your parents being fifteen and then fifty. 
Try to explain in Snapchat to them when they're 50 years old or when they're fucking, you know, your parents back then time travel back and go, hey, there's like a, a thing you put on your phone. It's an app. What's an app? Well, I'll get to that in just a second, but it's a ghost and he lets you send your picture to people for three seconds. So if you want to see, if you want somebody to see three seconds of your cock, you can do it. Uh, and then your parent just throws you off of a bridge. Uh, but anyway, I'm on Snapchat and Instagram at Mike40YOB. That's Mike40YOB. Find me on there. Be my friend. Send me things. Let me see them. Join me, please. We're all together. We're all in this together on social media. Why shouldn't we be? So I'm at all those places. You can get me at Mike at MikeSchmidtComedy.com, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. I'm there. I'm looking for you. Remember that our friend Ryan Dirks does all the web stuff for this show. You can find him at Facebook.com slash Ryan Dirks. Go there, be his friend. Tell him he's the coolest guy you've ever met. Our good friend Giovanni Giorgio Peluso does all sorts of neat stuff for this show. I've mentioned it many, many times. He did our YouTube channel, and he kind of sherpas me through a bunch of different things all the time. You can find him at all sorts of places. First, he's at Facebook.com slash Giovanni Giorgio Peluso. You can also find him at uh, on, on YouTube. He's got his own YouTube channel. I think it's under Giovanni Giorgio Peluso. Uh, but also you're looking for the love between the two hosts is the show that he hosts. I don't know. Maybe that's the channel. That could be the channel, but look for the love between the two hosts on, uh, on YouTube and, and subscribe to our friend Gio's channel. And also he's got podcasts, man. He's got the get it on Geo podcast, which you can check out. And he does all of the love line stuff where he's making uh, hay out of, he's making uh, shit out of Shinola. Is that how it is? No, he's not He's not doing that. He's making hay while the sun shines. No, he's, uh, He's 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 a chef. He gets all of the old love line ingredients and he mixes them up into a boulia base for today. So you can get a spoon and consume some hot steaming love line with your friends, Dr. Drew and Ann uh, and Adam. I almost called him Andrew Carolla, Adam. And it's all courtesy of our friend uh, Giovanni Giorgio Peluso. Again, go to the Love Between the Two Hosts YouTube channel. Check out his podcasts as well. The Geo Get It On podcast and also Love Line, please, because he's the best. And our friend David Mex Hernandez, who has to paint me. Huh, huh, huh. Fighting off a yawn. He has to paint me as the Joker uh, soon. I'm going to tell him he has to, because why not? Because look, we've used all the incarnations of the makeup. You got to use another one. Uh, but David is the coolest. He does all the artwork and the music for this show. You can find him at facebook.com slash David Hernandez. Or no, I'm sorry, David Mex Hernandez. Go be his friend at facebook.com slash David Mex Hernandez. But if you'd like to find some artwork, if you want him to paint you, as the new Joker, you can find him at artbydmh.com. Now, look, there's existing pieces there that you can check out. He's got Valscapes. He's got Guycons. He might have even done something for Mean Streets. I don't know if he did. Um, he sold a lot of commissions already, but right now he does have some other pieces there locked and loaded, ready for you to peruse and purchase. But again, like I said, if you want him to do you in a custom fashion, if you want him to paint you as the new Joker, if you want him to paint you as Arthur, if you want him to paint you as Squidly Diddly, who was a cartoon squid, that we all knowed and knowed, we knowed him and we loved him. Jesus Christ! Uh, if you wanted to paint him, you as any sort of famous figure with a powdered wig. If you if you want you want him to paint you crossing the Delaware, that's fine. If you want him to paint you buggering somebody who's in the stocks for talking about witchcraft, you can do that too. I don't know. We're we're harkening back to the 1600s, but why not? The point is, if you have the money, he will do whatever you need. He won't do any music. He won't sculpt you. Maybe he'll sculpt you out of mashed potatoes. You ever think about that? You ever see that movie? That's fucking Close Encounters, goddammit. Maybe Mex will sculpt you out of mashed potatoes and send it to your house, and you gotta hope, Jesus Christ, I hope you put Fragile on that box. I'm fighting off yawns. How fucking terrible is my head? What's happening? 
Uh, perhaps I'm, I'm boring myself as I talk in fucking circles. The point is, David Mex Hernandez is at artbydmh.com. Hire him to do some sort of private commission for you. Buy one of his existing pieces. He deserves it. You deserve it. You deserve to spend the money. He deserves to get your cash, and he will do fantastic work. I can vouch for that because it does fantastic work for me. It's up right now in my grown-up apartment living room that I told you about for four hours a second ago. Uh, so go ahead and find him at artbydmh.com and contact him. Let him do all of your cool stuff. That's artbydmh.com. A-R-T by... Oh, Jesus Christ. What happened there? My mouth is crashing. It's like it's like a car accident. He's at artbydmh.com. A-R-T-B-Y-D-M-H dot com. Shady the crew. Shady the crew. Shady the Folks, you know how this show works. We've got sponsors. They all queue up. They line up to get their names mentioned on the show because they're fantastic people. Now, uh, what sponsor do we have right now? Well, of course, it's the Paranoid Strain podcast, folks. You know all about that. It is that fantastic, well-written, well-produced podcast by our friend Fearful Jesuit that's available in the iTunes store right now. This month's episode is about QAnon. I know you're thinking, oh, is that Avenue QAnon? No, that is not a play that you ever want to pay to see. Don't, don't ever. If someone says, hey, man, you want tickets to Avenue QAnon? Please do not walk in and see that show because those are some uh, racists, confused puppets. That's that's grim for all involved. So uh, although I guess Q, QAnon is actually puppets as well, but they're puppets of the man, man, puppets of Q and all of his cryptic uh, droppings all over the Internet that they're piecing together into a big puzzle because the storm is coming. Coming, folks, did you know that the storm is coming? No, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to. I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to spoiler alert our friend Fearful Jesuit's episode of Paranoid Strain featuring QAnon. Uh, but he gets to the bottom of it. He turns the lid off of it, and you need to check it out, folks. It's fantastic stuff. It's available in the iTunes Store right now. You can leave a review in the iTunes store mentioning our show, saying we sent you over there. That would be great. Uh, although you may be too gobsmacked after hearing this fucking show because you hear about these crazy motherfuckers and their QAnon bullshit. And, and the worst, again, the worst thing, and I think I mentioned it last week, is how they're all so smug and so confident that they're right. And they do that thing where they dismiss out of hand anybody who doesn't believe them. Well, you know, uh, eventually when Q is, reveals all and the storm hits, then everybody will realize. And you're just like, you poor deluded motherfuckers like what's going to happen for you when none of this shit hits the fan they'll always get it it's like conspiracy theories i've talked about fucking oswald it, it, you know with max because he's he's he knows everything about the fucking jfk assassination i mean it's ridiculous so when i talk to him he's just like they'll just find another fucking hole to go down it's like the 9-11 people and you've got footage of the plane hitting the pentagon and you've got all the you know can fu- prove jet fuel and steel beams whatever the fuck they always find a reason. They always find a way. They go, oh, well, that's what they want you to think. That's what they want you to believe. And the worst part is the internet because it gave these motherfuckers a way to communicate with one another. Again, in every city you went into, there were these idiots on street corners shouting, standing on a fucking Apple box. Well, now they've traded that in for a fucking mouse. Never trade in your Apple box for a mouse. If I, if I can tell you one thing, if I can tell you two things, first of all, Olivia Munn can't run faster than a spaceship and she doesn't have a GPS in her head. That's one. Two, never trade your Apple box in for a mouse. How about that? Uh, cause these guys are shouty and they're yelling and they're wrong and they're so fucking wrong. 
and Fearful Jesuit tears them the fuck apart on the QAnon show. So go ahead and pick up this week's Paranoid Strain or this month's Paranoid Strain. Download it there in the iTunes store. Give it a listen. And as I've said endlessly, I think I even said it earlier in this show, I am fascinated by people who can do things I don't do. Um, do I think I can do what, what, what Fearful Jesuit does? No, I can't. It's so well written. It's, it's pieced together so well. The discipline required to create what is essentially a work of art every month out of clips and the research and the work and the facts and the, you know, it's, it's insane. And it's a, a real high quality product. And I'm honored to be associated with it. So please go check out The Paranoid Strain by our friend Fearful Jesuit available in the iTunes store right now. Like I said, leave a, a review in the iTunes store saying we sent you or send, don't be afraid to send uh, our friend Fearful some, some email. He gives you the address right there in the show and you can reach out and, and tell him that you heard the show via us and we're keeping people subscribed and getting people on board and you're giving it a chance and you love it. That's important because we want Jesuit to know that he's a, you know, he's a huge part of the 40 year old boy family. We want to make sure that everybody out there tells him that he is one uh, and that he's a, and you're fans of his work because his work is, is fucking stellar. So please check that out. Uh, I told you about our friend Giovanni Giorgio Peluso's YouTube channel, The Love Between the Two Hosts. Let's talk about our YouTube channel. Why not? We've got the 40-year-old boy YouTube channel uh, that Gio helped uh, put together. And by helped, I mean he did it. And I sent him a bunch of stuff and he keeps doing it, which is fantastic. Uh, But our YouTube channel exists right now. If you want to go ahead and check it out, there's... uh, all sorts of live stream stuff that I've done. There's the every week this podcast goes in there. If you can't listen to it on your iPods, you just want to walk around and play it on your laptop. You can go ahead and do that. If you don't like iTunes, if you don't do that, go ahead and get it right there on YouTube, folks. I understand everybody consumes their media differently these days. So I'm trying to give you as many options as I possibly can. Uh, and I also live stream occasionally on YouTube. And I know you're thinking to yourself, well, Mike, when's the next live stream? When is the next live stream? Well, I'm here to tell you, folks. It is next Wednesday. Next Wednesday is, let's find the date on that. I think it's the third. Uh, Wednesday, we'll go with October 3rd, Wednesday night, and uh, we'll call it 6 o'clock again, 6 o'clock Pacific time, which is 9 o'clock in the East, 8 o'clock in the Midwest, 4 o'clock in fucking Hawaii, and uh, Kuwait's 19 hours ahead of me, so I don't know, Japan is, I don't know, they're, they're all ahead of me, everybody's ahead, so it's in the future, I'll do it at 6 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday night, October 3rd, a live stream at YouTube. And, uh, and you could, uh, by that time, I'm hoping my apartment is done. I'm about 85% of the way there. I don't think the artwork will be hung yet, but maybe we can, you know what? Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll show you some photographs and you guys can decide what goes on the wall and what doesn't. Uh, and then I'll just go, okay, great. And then I'll just put up what I want. But still, the important part is you'll be part of the process. And that's what we all want. We want you on board to go ahead and contribute your, your thoughts. So streaming next Wednesday, October 3rd at 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. And you can get out the chart and figure out what time it is all over the earth. Like I said, that's 9 o'clock p.m. in New York. That's 8 o'clock p.m. in Chicago. It's 4 o'clock p.m. in Maui. It's uh, 7 o'clock p.m. in Denver. Uh, all of you other people. And again, so like I said, England and everybody else, you guys got to get out a fucking compass and a chart and a pen and a fucking visor and an adding machine and figure it out for yourselves. But the point is I will be there Wednesday, October 3rd, 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time streaming and talking to you guys about everything or nothing. Perhaps I'll explain it all. Maybe I go closer, Clarissa on you guys. I'll just show up and explain it all because that's what I have inside me. I want to explain it all. So that's when the next stream is, folks. Uh, if you want to be a Patreon person, why wouldn't you? I, I think you should be. Patreon exists right now. The Patreon page, we go find Mike Schmidt Patreon or Mike Schmidt, the 40-year-old boy. I think it's uh, Mike40YOB, patreon.com slash Mike40YOB. Or you can just go to Patreon and put in my name, Mike Schmidt, and it'll come up. Please become a supporter of this show, a monthly supporter. Uh, and and we're, we've got another to tell you about. Our good friend Paul Pepper 
has jumped on board. Now he used to support all the time via the, like the donation button. And then uh, he wound up switching things and he had to move things around. And now he's back on Patreon and it's good for him. And Paul's always very nice. He writes me. He's like, Hey Mike, I had to, I'm stopping doing this now because we're moving and doing some stuff. Uh, and then I'll jump in in a couple of months. And I always, like I tell everybody, Hey, you're fantastic. Thank you for thinking of me. You don't ever need to give me an explanation. Uh, but you know what? If you're gone, fuck you. No, that seems weird. But I mean, you're very nice and thank you. Um, Paul, who has the, uh, you know, the dark Knight first responder truck, which we've talked about before. He's got a, a Facebook page, which you can go like, and, uh, and he's also, you know, bringing the, the, the truck out to festivals and things like that. You can see it firsthand and see amazing, intricate paint job work on that truck. And, uh, and it's for a good cause. It's for, to help first responders and things like that. He tries to bring it out to these shows and people come and check it out. And, uh, you know, you can follow him on facebook.com and I, he's got the dark Knight first responder truck. He's also on Instagram. I don't know what that is, but if you put it, I'm sure if you put in dark Knight first responder truck. And I think he put in the number one, one ST. But uh, that's all that all exists. But anyway, so Paul Pepper's now a Patreon guy, too. So check that out, man. He's double dipping this show. He's asking me, hey, can you tell me about the Darknet Responder truck? And then he puts a little boom boom in the pocket. That's how it works, folks. You want me to talk about you and your dumb truck? I'll just you just go ahead and put the boom boom in the old pocket. And it's not a dumb truck. I'm teasing. It's first responders and everybody loves it. And people died so he could make that truck. Well, I mean, no, they didn't die so he could make that truck. That sounds bad. That sounds like 9-11 happened only so our friend Paul could have this truck. Maybe that's true. You know what? I don't know what was going through the mind of Muhammad Atta. Perhaps he, he thought to himself, if only I can get together a bunch of my friends, because I'm assuming they're friends, right? They had to be friends, the 9-11 hijackers. Oh, there's just got to be, there's 20 guys. got to be one guy in there who's like, I hate these dudes. Or one guy that everybody else hated. Like the other 19 guys who get together and be like, I fucking can't stand this guy. I can't wait till he dies on 9-11. Oh, that's going to be great. The only, look, the only reason I'm doing this fucking thing is so that guy eats it. I don't I don't give a fuck about virgins or, or fucking martyrism. I don't give a shit about the, the Quran. I just want that guy dead. Dead, and you needed a 20th you had 19 and that's not a that's not you gotta go even numbers if you're gonna go to martyrdom so i said to myself you know what i want that guy dead i'm willing to make that sacrifice i show up become the 20th hijacker just so that guy fucking bites it i'm i'm willing to pay the ultimate price so we can all be rid of that motherfucker uh and also we want paul to have a truck maybe that was what they were thinking um i'm not gonna lie to you that that actually really makes me laugh the idea of one of the 20 guys they hated another guy so much. He just jumped in because he goes, I don't, you know what? I don't even want to, I don't even care about this cause. I don't give a shit about Osama or the fucking nine 11 nonsense. Uh, we, we, by the way, by the way, this is episode nine 11. I, I should have mentioned that earlier. Uh, you'll never forget this episode. Clearly you will never forget this episode, but yeah, that dude is just like, Hey man, I hate that guy so much. I'm jumping in. I'm doing this right fucking now. Uh, God damn it. That made me laugh. All right. Uh, hey, you want to be an Uber driver? So anyway, so thank you, Paul Pepper, for joining Patreon. And maybe you should join Patreon too. Who wants to be an Uber driver? Who wants to be a Lyft driver? If you want to be a Lyft driver, use my code. This is all caps. M-I-K-E-720057. M-I-K-E, that's Mike720057. You can use that to become a driver at Lyft. You can use it for a first time ride at Lyft. I get dough either way, man. And if you want to be an Uber driver, this is all lowercase, man, lowercase. DJZW1YTTUE, DJZW1YTTUE. You can use that to become a driver, or you can use that to uh, become a first-time rider. If you're taking your first time ever ride in an Uber, and uh, and you'd want to use my code, that's fantastic. Because then I get a taste of all of this, folks. That's that's what's keeping me afloat. That's what's making this this engine run, shoveling the coal in and throwing it in there, so we can just fucking chug and chug and John Henry the fuck out of this goddamn place. Uh, so please do that. That's fantastic. Go to MikeSchmidtComedy.com. Go to the YouTube. Uh, well, no, don't go there. Go to the MikeSchmidtComedy.com and go to the uh, the Joe Business page. That's what we're doing. We've got stuff on sale there, live stuff, things we've sold ba- in the past. 
and we're brainstorming shirts as we speak. However, the important thing is the Amazon link lives on the Joe Business page. So if you go ahead and click the Joe Business page, uh, you'll go there and you'll see Amazon. Click through that and do all of your Amazon shopping while you're in there on our dime. Uh, because then we get money, they get money, you get stuff. It works out perfectly for everybody because it doesn't cost you anything extra. You're just helping out the damn show. All you did was, you know what it cost you? A thumb callus. Aren't I worth a thumb callus, folks? Click, click, click away. Chim, chim, cheree. Get in there. Buy a fucking chimney or an umbrella or whatever the fuck Mary Poppins would have you get. Or is that chitty, chitty, bang, bang? Chim, chim, cheree. No, it's just, just a chimney sweep, right? Chim, chim, cheree. Chim, chim, cheru. Uh, chim, chim, the monkey from Speed Racer 2. Uh, I just wrote a song. So please... <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. Go to go to the Joe Business page. Chim Chim Cherie, Mary Poppins in a fucking umbrella, whatever the fuck. Uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, all of it. It's there. Go ahead and slip on through. Hit the Amazon link. Get to Amazon and do all your shopping. We get a taste. We get money. They get money. You get stuff. It costs you nothing extra except for that thumb callus, and I'm worth it, goddammit. Who isn't worth a thumb callus? Everybody else out there. But who is? Me. Damn it. Take that and run with it, you fucks. That seems aggressive. Uh, all right. I, you know, I need to do this, man. I need to thank everybody who was in Toronto. I, I got caught up in Joker talk and I didn't finish talking about Toronto. I didn't get into all that. I, I, I won't belabor the point. We had a fucking fantastic time. Um, we went to a rage room. Our friends Ken and, and Tresha showed up. That was fun to have them there. So it was me and Ken and Ken and Tresha, a couple of Kens, a double Ken attack in the rage room that day. And uh, and we had fun smashing things, dressing, wearing coveralls and masks. And I headbutted Tresha at one point, and that was totally cool. We had crowbars and mini baseball bats, and we were smashing cups and fucking printers. And it was it was totally fun. The rage room's always fun. So we had an escape room. We had an axe room. We had a rage room. We had a baseball room. We wound up going to the Sky Dome and checking out the Blue Jays. Now, here's a, here's a funny story about the Blue Jays. It's not really funny, but it's, this is what happened. Uh, you know, me, John, and Ken go, and then we're joined by someone named Stacy. I don't know if I mentioned her earlier in the show. That was fun. I'm so glad she came to the baseball game. Uh, and guess what? At the baseball game, still didn't make her laugh. Oh, what a surprise. Uh, but we're watching the game and Tampa Bay starts to beat the Blue Jays into submission. It's eight to two in the eighth inning. Now we have a dinner reservation at 10 o'clock. It's about nine twenty-five, and Ken orders another beer and John's like, Hey man, we got to get going. We got to get to dinner. And he says, Oh, the game's not over yet. And then I, and look what I'm, I'm on, I'm there on Ken's good humor. I'm there on John's good humor. I don't, I got no fucking vote. So I just sat back and let those two hash it out. So Ken's like, well, I got a beer coming. He's like, well, I knock back the beer and then we'll go to the fucking, we'll go to dinner. You mind leaving early? And Ken's like, nah, uh, maybe, I don't know. It's, you know, there's still a game to play here. And, and everybody else was still streaming out of the fucking stadium. And it's eight to two again, Blue Jays up eight to two, or I'm sorry, Rays up eight to two, Blue Jays blow. So, uh, so he finishes the beer. We're in the bottom of the eighth. It's like, all right, let's take off. So we split and me, John and Ken head down. We grab a cab. We get to Antler. Uh, Antler is an amazing restaurant. We had spice crusted ash, spice ash crusted deer, I should say, uh, which uh, John ordered raw. Basically, he ordered it pretty blue, but it was still good. But it was the kind of blue where like your knife doesn't cut it. You know what I mean? That just the meat starts to move with your knife a little bit. And uh, and so it might have been a little a hair under for me and Ken, but I still ate it. It was still delicious. Uh, we had that. We had a uh, a bison ribeye with some chanterelles and a, bro- a broccoli rapini and a fucking. Uh, polenta a creamy polenta we had another duck dish we had some uh, duck with a with a corn-based succotash with a blackberry coulis holy fuck was that good we ate a, a st- like a soup that was delicious we had a we had bread with spreadable duck fat pate oh my god it was all it was all animals we just ate a zoo we ate a fucking zoo and uh, so we sit down at the table we order the soup we're getting the bread we're trying to figure out what we're going to do and I take up my phone because I'm like well what the hell it took us a while to get here and I go to the baseball uh, my, my MLB app and I open it up and I, I'm not kidding you I glance down 
and it says Tampa Bay 8, Toronto 6, ninth inning. And I go, oh, I guess the Blue Jays made a move to myself, like in my head. And then the, the number turns, and it says 8-8. Eight, eight. And I look up at Ken, and I go, Blue Jays tied it in the ninth. Now, Ken's wearing a Blue Jays jersey. He's a fan. He's a fucking Blue Jays fan. And I look up at him, and I go, hey, Blue Jays just tied it in the ninth. And he goes, oh, that's hilarious, right? And I go, dude. And I look down at my phone, and as I look down at my phone, because I'm going to hold it up, I'm going to hold the screen up to his face, and I want to make sure, you know, you move your phone sometimes, and it goes black because the fucking screen, it's 10 seconds or whatever. So I look down to make sure I got the score, and as I look at it, the Blue Jays, the score turns again, 9-8. I go, Blue Jays won. He goes, will you stop? And I go, dude. And I hold up the phone. And he just, he looks at me, and I look at him, and I open it up, and I go, seven runs in the ninth, three home runs. And there's a beat of silence, and the two of us, just turn our heads slowly to look over at John. <laughs> and John, John is sitting there. And he looks at both of us and he just goes, man, this, this soup is really good, right? Because <laughs> what the fuck else is he going to say? And, uh, or, or was it the hunter that was, I don't remember what the fuck, but whatever. He, he had nothing to say. He was doomed. And I look at it. I open it up again. They scored seven biggest comeback in Blue Jays history. Biggest comeback in Major League Baseball this season. Seven runs in the bottom of the ninth with three home runs, including back-to-back homers to walk off and win it. We walked out on that. We saw all of the 8-2 to two dink and dunk and singles and bullshit, and then we leave and we miss fireworks and bombs and nonsense. Oh, my Christ. And dinner was fantastic because, again, we ate those three entrees, and then John, who's a fucking machine, just goes, hey, can we try the, let's try the fish. So he asked the chick what kind of fish they got, and they had halibut, and then they had uh, a pickerel, I think it's called. So he gets the halibut with a butter sauce and some golden beets and some peas. We knocked that down, then he wants dessert, so we got a fucking maple ice cream sandwich on brioche uh, with with uh, a caramel, salted caramel and pumpkin seeds. Holy God. I mean, just that, again, literally like nine things too many on a plate, but we cleaned house on that at Antler. It was fantastic. Um and it was great. I mean, just the time. And then Friday came and, you know, we were downtown and I didn't do anything. I had to get ready for the show. And and we had the show at Steve's Music, courtesy of our friend Rick Wellbanks. And, and you know, it was a very, it was, look, man, it, we, I said I wasn't selling tickets. It was a totally small crowd that showed up. Our buddy Robert Chaz Shoot showed up. Uh, our friend Paul showed up. Our friend Paul Murray, Brogy, came to town. Uh, it, it was just, it was just so cool. I mean, I, I and a Mike, our friend Mike showed up. He was there. And, and. And Mike had seen me in 2012, actually. Or no, he, he had missed me. Did he miss me? I'm trying to remember. I, I don't recall. I apologize. It was a whirlwind time. And so I streamed the show live. You know, our friend Rick Wellbanks owned uh, the music place. Oh, and Ken, and Ken and Tresha came to that as well. Tanya and uh, and Mike, her husband, came out. And and it was just, it was fantastic. I mean, it was so great. We And I did the show. And the show was, you know, I I, I was very happy because we wanted to, I wanted to stream it. I set up the laptop. I streamed it live and people came into the chat room and watched that. And then I immediately made it private. It's available on Patreon now. If you become a patron of $10 or over, you'll get to be able to watch that show. But, uh, and I'm going to do a lot more of that. I mean, I loved it. It worked out great. Um, I don't know if it'll ever work out that smoothly again. I mean, we were able to set up the laptop right now. I mean, I was in profile. So you got to see me in profile do the show. And then I'd periodically turn around and look at the screen as if it were an audience member. And then I did the set for everybody in the crowd. And, and it was phenomenal. I mean, I just, I... Dudes, I love Canada so much. I love Toronto so much, and I love the people there so much. They came out. We we had a good time, and and I can't thank them enough. And everybody, and so then at the end of the show, they passed the hat, and uh, and I, I have to say that their generosity was overwhelming. I mean, I was again humbled, 
and grateful for everybody who came out to see the show and hang out. Because when I go up there, like I said, I mentioned it last episode, Ken brings me up, I stay at his house and they're like, don't even grab your wallet. But at the end of this show, man, they passed the hat around and everybody was so generous and so nice. And, and really they thought of me and took care of me in a way that I did not expect to have happen. And I just, I I'm slack jawed. I'm endlessly charmed and, and taken aback and humbled by the fact that you guys support me as much as you do. And I appreciate it very much. Um, and so I, I can only hope that I'm doing the right things for you. And if you've got anything you want different or whatever the fuck, tell me. And of course I won't do it, but still at the same time, reach out, please, please don't be afraid to reach out. Uh, and, and, and look, I don't have any other scheduled shows right now. I know I'll be back in Canada next year. And next year when I go to Canada, I might do a show in Steve's music, just another show in an attic somewhere. And then I might do a real show, not a real show. Fuck that. This was a real show. I did it about an hour and 20 minutes, but I'll do a show in a theater somewhere as well. And sell tickets to that. It'll be, you know, there'll be a friends only thing maybe at like, you know, that same deal. And then also people, if they want to come see me in a theater, it'll be fantastic. And, and I would love it. And I, I Canada is an annual thing. Fuck. If I don't move up there for fuck's sake, but it'll be a thing that I always come to. And I, and I want to go everywhere. We've, we've mentioned it all the time. I would love to do things, but with the apartment taking shape, with the streaming stuff happening with Twitch about to happen, I think, you know, maybe I'll be able to wean off the driving a little more, be able to go out of town and do some shows. And, uh, and I, you know, and also fuck, maybe I'll just stream. Maybe you don't want me to come to live your town live, but I'll always come to Canada because everybody was fucking grateful and nice and really super cool. But, uh, but maybe I just, maybe I stream. Maybe you want to watch me uh, do stuff on Twitch. Maybe you want to watch me play games. I mentioned Brogy gave me some games last week. I got other games here to play. Uh, maybe I'll just go out. Maybe that's it. Maybe you just want to watch me play old Madden. Is that what it is? Is that what you people have? Is that what you've got in your, your minds? Are you thinking to yourself, I want to see what Mike does with the 1996 Kansas City Chiefs. Are you thinking that to yourself? Are you like, oh my God, I cannot believe what Mike's going to do with these fucking Chiefs. What if, I, I've got a Madden game from like 93. What if I bust that out and I just play the old fucking Packers and I load the backfield up and I Paul Horning the shit out of you guys. You ready for that? Ready? You don't come to a throne if you're not gonna suck a dick. Egg, 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 egg.